Mediocre! My <laughs> no, don't spray. Th that's not. Don't spray that in your mouth. That's not good for you. Why not? It tastes so good. I'm done. 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 It's cake frosting. I'm done. 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 Welcome to the Match Movie Podcast, everybody. Finally. Finally. The worst one of the bunch. It all led to this shitty pile of shit, right? Mad Max Road? You're toad bullshit. That doesn't work now. It's really good. It's a really good movie. Every time I see it, it just gets better and better. Um, and. Don't ever. No, it's never. I've never been sick of this movie. So we are wrapping up our uh, series on, on uh, Mad Max. We will be sparing the spinning the curiosity wheel tonight. Absolutely. Um, and um, then we'll yeah, yeah. Curiosity, Mad Max, and uh, I told you, John Boyega was never coming back. I don't think it's again. I don't think it's that he's never coming back. I just think he's right now still like we're still reeling from Skywalker. Skywalker's not but a year old, right? No, he was defending JJ. He may That's be the thing. Again, I'm not talking about who he's defending and who he's not. We'll get to that. I'm talking about whether or not he's going to ever come back to the series. And I think you're still reeling from Skywalker. All of us are. Truly, honestly. And he can, like, he may side with JJ because JJ made Force Awakens and probably was, like, the first real big blockbuster filmmaker that took him under his wing and chose him to be in the part and stuff like that. But also, JJ thought that he'd given the part to other people, that they would have been safe hands, not realizing that he was not supposed to end the series. I will always give JJ Abrams the fact that he was never supposed to end the series and he's not good at ending series. Why did he take the job in the first place? Regardless... You can, if you can, if I were Boyega, I could look at what Ryan Johnson did and say he didn't really do much with my character. However, I'm of the ilk that think that um, if Force Awakens was him learning the difference between the uh, himself and the uh, rebellion, um, then Last Jedi is him learning the difference between himself and the universe. How the whole universe is affected by this war, not just the rebellion. It's just the people who care about him. Like everyone, everyone is affected by this, the, from the small to the big. And that was an important thing for him to realize that he has to, you know, sacrifice himself for again. Do I think it's a lot of mirror injury, imagery? Yes. But I also think it puts him uh, in this universe in an interesting position. Could they have done a little bit more? Yeah, maybe. I still think that like Finn got the hard rap on Jedi for sure. And he makes a very good point that they did more with Daisy Ridley and Kylo and Luke than they did with him and Kelly Marie Tran. But I do think that there's a point there because like Benicio Del Toro's part uh, highlights that. But if you compare what he did in that movie with Finn and giving Finn an entire story in an only, it's he's the lead of his own story in that movie. If you took it out of that movie, it's still an entire thing led by Finn that has nothing to do with any of the other characters. It's all him. Like he gave him his own arc. But then look at what JJ did with him in Skywalker. He's he gave him nothing. He just yells Ray the entire time, and then he tells her he's going to tell her something, and then he never tells her. 
Like, that's way worse. Way worse. Way worse. And I hope time helps him figure that out. Like, like he can sit there and be like, J.J. was never supposed to take that job in the first place. But he took it. He took it and he sat in a room with Chris Terrio and he figured that shit out for you because he wasn't smart enough to take it anywhere else. And Disney pushed him. And we're like, you need to come and finish this and fix our mistake. But it wasn't a mistake. They had a script that built off of what they did in the last movie. They caved, and J.J. caved, and Chris Terrio caved. And they took your character and did nothing with it, even more so than the last guy did. The last guy may have repeated things, but he also broadened the world and put you in the driver's seat of it. So he actually did a lot with it. He gave the minorities an entire section of the movie to themselves to broaden the world and look at the... um, misfortunate and the weak in this world versus the powerful he gave him his own little fucking movie so like even though it is a bit repetitive and a bit redundant at the same time he still gave him a lot more than jj ever gave him towards the end of this series jj sets up characters and cast characters very well but he can't end him and he shouldn't have taken that job and he ruined it even more so than uh ryan johnson did and like it's two things for me I hope John Boyega goes back because it's a fun world and he's an interesting character and somebody can do something with him someday and I hope he trusts somebody enough to do it. It, it, I like John Boyega and I've liked him in other things including Detroit and Attack on the Block. Um, But I also think, I don't know what his future is and I feel bad because him and Daisy Ridley are both sitting there being like no one's casting us in anything and I haven't heard anything for Oscar Isaac like recently too. Like maybe all of this, everyone's just kind of like, we should just separate ourselves from Skywalker and all that end. And like, honestly, I don't think that should be the case. I think you should just power through, but I, I think he should go back at one point because the character's fun and he's fun. Why not? But for me personally, I hope time shows him that last Jedi was a prime opportunity for everyone to take this thing somewhere else. And I know he feels really close to JJ having made two movies with him and having his first one being one of the most important and biggest ones in the world. And he was cast by him and chosen by him. Like that's 110% a guy behind your back from day one. However, he ruined your character in the end because he didn't know what to do. And he backed the wrong fans, the fans that you yourself did not care for. You yourself defended Kelly and Mar- Kelly, Madri- Kelly Marie Tran for. Like, I know he has his reasons. He was in there. He was in the trenches, and he's had worse than anyone else since day one. And Kelly, Madri- Kelly Marie Tran has had a lot of bad shit in this. But Last Jedi was good, and it was better than Skywalker. And although he may not see the opportunities that it gave him that now and hopefully later for his character, I hope he at least realizes that. J.J. Abrams screwed him in the end. Just screwed him in the end. They they went the absolute safe route, and they didn't make any chances. They just phoned it all these answers in, and then tried to make a fun little movie, avoiding everything from the last one. And it's incredibly spiteful, and it's it just ruins everything, and it's a bad taste in everyone's mouth. I I just want him to be able to see that one day, because that's what it is. Like I love Jumbo Yoga. He doesn't have to go back to Star Wars. I hope he does. Like. I hope he can play that character again. I hope he, that people find that world fun again. And that is, it isn't so toxic that nobody wants to do anything at, in it ever again. But, man, dude, wrong side of history is pro-JJ Skywalker. You can be pro-JJ Force Awakens, sure. But, it, like, Last Jedi is not that bad. I can see how he could feel like he was sidestepped. But, honestly, he got his own story 
in in a broader scope of the universe that was really fun and really weird and highlighted the minorities and the underprivileged and you had a mexican an asian and a black main characters go on an adventure and like get to see aliens and get to see like kids and like they got to involve themselves with forced force powerful kids like that was where that like that whole section is what Ryan Johnson wanted for Star Wars like new aliens rich powerful people underprivileged kids that were slaves animals that we'd never seen before kids with powers like the future of Star Wars that was what that story was supposed to be it was led by Finn I, I I don't get it. So I I wish he could see it outside of the experiences he had with JJ as a filmmaker and being there on set and enjoying himself. But like JJ screwed this up, man. It was JJ's fault. Like I understand he may not have ever wanted to end it and he took it for the money and just to think he could save his baby, but he backed the wrong team and did nothing with your character. In fact, he didn't finish anything with that character. The one, the one thing the character was supposed to do was tell Ray something, and he never did it. Like I don't get it. I don't get it, man. I'll never get it. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's really just like I'm kind of like as as it's gone on. Like I'm growing more pessimistic of this. They're not pessimistic. Um, yeah, pessimistic of, of this fan base. Um, it's just like, <sighs> the amount of stuff I've seen him take leads me to believe I can't imagine a universe or any universe where he takes that same amount of stuff and comes back. Like I just can't see how he comes back after all the crap that like this fan base has done to him and what the executives have done with, have done to him. Do you see in him? his mind, in his mind. Do you see Hayden Christensen coming back? I mean, he didn't for Rise of Skywalker, which is the whole theory that everybody had that he would be a Force Ghost coming back. But apparently, he that is yeah. But here's the difference, though. You're talking about scrutiny about two different things. Hayden Christensen was made fun. It was like destroyed for his bad acting. We're talking about John Boyega, who was like lambasted about being black and a black lead in the Star Wars movie. That's what we're okay. talking about here. Well, no, no, that's not just what we're talking about. We're talking about two different things. A, yes, that is true. Boyega got it worse. He was the first black main character in there. Like, Lando's not a main character in that movie. He's a side character, and he's also a bad guy in the first entrance of the movie. No, he's the first real black main character of Star Wars on cinema. Of course he was always going to get it worse. Absolutely. 110%. That's not what I'm saying. Also, here's... Is time heals all wounds. I'm saying that. Right. You, I'm saying that once you take away the people that were ever, that were in charge at the time that you were there, the people that you worked with. Once an artist comes to you and actually gives you an argument or an idea that you may actually be excited about, who is passionate about you, that gets you interested, and then also there is most likely going to be a new fan base that enjoyed you from day one. For example, all the people that love the prequels now. Like, I think those movies are shit, and they're people that love them because they grew up with them. They think they're legitimate, great movies, and I'm like, I don't get it. But whatever. Like, now Hayden Christensen, people love him. People feel for him. Like, they, they, there are people who watch those movies, and when they, he gets called Darth Vader on his knees, 
Like, that's their surprise. They know of Darth Vader. They may have never seen those Star Wars movies or never care, but they know that twist. So when they see it, that's the twist for them. So, like, I, I think time, over time, all the kids that grew up loving Finn, like, expecting Finn, who likes Skywalker regardless because they don't understand film criticism. They're just, you know, happy that he made it to the end of the three big movies that they saw him in. They're going to grow up, they're going to be adults, and they're going to wonder, hey, why isn't Finn come back? And they're going to start talking to Boyega. They're going to be like, hey, man, come back. We loved you. That fan base will grow up. They will start making movies. They will start making film criticism. And they will start looking at Finn. And they will start giving him the legit, objective perspective that he needs, which is that Last Jedi was a jumping off point for him to explore and lead the world of Star Wars separate of Rey and Skywalker and all of that bullshit. But in his mind... He was sidetracked from all the big main story and in turn was way more sidetracked than Skywalker. And he doesn't see it because he trusts J.J. Moore. He needs new fans to grow up and tell him that. And once he starts to see that and hear that, I guarantee you he's going to want to come back. Especially if someone like uh, is making is involved in Star Wars that absolutely he believes in. Is making new stuff, is passionate, and that passion is infectious. Look at Taika Waititi with Thor and Love and Thunder. Like... Natalie Portman backed out of the whole situation because of the Patty Jenkins BS, and the second movie didn't do better with the weaker director. And then Taika came in, and he's like, look, I know that experience sucked. I know you would love a female director. I know that's what you want behind you. This is an arc that Jane goes through. We're willing to put this up. We're willing to make you Thor. If you come in and you join us in this process and make this big, we will put the hammer in your hand, and you will be the person that everyone's talking about. And we want you to be a part of this. And she was because she liked Taika. She liked his work and she was infected by his passion. That's something that happened over time a lot faster than something like this. But like it, it helped because there was a guy who was really good behind these films now. So give it time. Give it a grown up fan base. I think Boyega is going to hopefully get his mind changed by people who understand what actually happened. The more time we walk away from this series, the more people watch them in a row, they'll start to realize what the hell happened at Skywalker? I like what happened here in Jedi. What the hell happened in Skywalker? If you take all the bull, if you take all the BS out and you have people watch it beginning to end, like I think more people are gonna enjoy it. At least more smart people are gonna enjoy it <laughs> than people who aren't really looking into the series or just you know kind of enjoying it for fun then you can go either or either way maybe you do want luke to be like the all-powerful hero as an adult who's doing everything he's doing in jedi but there's a lot of people who are like you know what the prequels kind of proved the jedis were stupid and if you follow down the wrong path and you know don't think about your ego you could make some terrible decisions to protect it because you're human you were human you may understand the force but you are a human being but if you die into yourself and like hide from the shame and don't try to change and evolve and like hope that the next generation can do better than you, then you're, you're not changing either. You're still caving to the flaws of a human being, which is why it's so much more interesting. It's so much more interesting. It's so much more powerful when he sees Kylo Ren. Like I just wish, I wish they'd have picked a director who could have challenged, and, and a screenwriter that could have challenged the idea of Kylo getting redemption, but also still being the bad guy about expanding the future of Star Wars past this, like, Skywalker saga. They kept, 
nailing the head on the head they're like this is this end of the skywalker saga end of the skywalker saga and we have all this like obi-wan and mandalorian stuff no idea about the future does anybody have a clue about what's going to happen in star wars now now that this crap is over not Isn't that like, what last not, i was supposed to do <laughs> yeah the oh god just here's the thing right i can take a step back and say like Lando, like, like Lando, um, was a side character. He was he never got like his own arc, I guess. And some will point to Return of the Jedi, that whole Battle of Endor. I'm like, you really want to call it that? And He's anyway, the C story. He's the C story. Anyway, or like Mace Windu, like, like Samuel L. Jackson. Like, he was a side character. Yeah. And then... Like, I will... Like, I'm... Like... And then in Last Jedi, you got Finn, who has his own arc, A to B. He got more, maybe in one movie, than either of those two. Yes, he did, for sure. Force Awakens is Finn's movie. Just as much as it is Rey's, and just as much as it is Kylo's. Poe is the one who's left out in the wind on that one. He took crap, like a lot of vile crap, but he still got way more. God, man, I hope he sees I really hope one day he sees that. Like, I want him to come back. Like, I want all these people to come back because I did not get the ending I wanted. There goes my water bottle. Um, I did not get the ending that I really wanted and i don't think they did either i don't think i don't know these people i'm just a god i'm just a talking head on the internet and but like just, you care about this project you care about right. what they made and you care and, about the fact that you cared about it and just i want to see them come back but it's just really hard right now to see oh. them come back when you got John Boyega engaging and fight and like internet fighting with racist pigs and Oscar Isaac coming out and saying, I won't do another Star Wars movie unless I need another house. Unironically looking at Dune. Um, but the thing, the thing about acting is that's what it is. Like, honest to God, if someone was like, do you want to be in a Star Wars movie? It's going to be one of the biggest movies in the world. Yeah, that's a lot of money and you're going to get a lot of residuals and you can go to like things like, yeah, money is part of that. So like, if you are working later in your years and you stepped away from that, you want to be able to go back to Star Wars and say, hey, if I want to buy a house or something like that, I can do that. That may be cynical, but that's also part of the world of acting. But yeah, it does paint, it does paint a picture of like they haven't had a good experience with the fans. Which is the same thing with the prequels. They chewed and spit out the man who created all of this, George Lucas. He was their victim there. And he was, it was right to like criticize him about those movies. But yeah, like think about what those fans did to him. And he was the god of this world. So yeah, no, Star Wars fans, Star Wars fans are just like insane. They're willing to say we love the, we love George Lucas, but they'll spit on him if they want to. And they'll, treat them like crap if they wanted to like the fan base has always been toxic but and it's it the problem is with social media it made it easier for those voices to get louder for the actors to hear it but 
for Disney to respond to it and put it in the art is batshit bananas. Like, you made your choice with Ryan Johnson, you moved ahead, you caved to your fans, and then the actors started believing that stuff. Like, no, man. No. Last Jedi, regardless of its problems or its faults, should have been the stepping off point for the next movie. Regardless of whether you liked it or not, you should have built off that and not stepped backwards. Because it, it just showed that you didn't care about who you didn't care about the most. You just kicked Kelly Marie, Kelly Marie Tran out, and then Finn was just reduced to like a side character who just keeps letting people know the location of Rey and that people care about her. That's it. It's terrible. It's terrible. How the hell can he support Skywalker more than Jedi? It's terrible. They treat him like crap. He is useless in that movie. He is useless. He rides a horse with six legs. Congratulations. He meets a group of people that already had a leader. And then they put horses on it. All the people flying the ships had to do was turn them vertical. <laughs> for force awakens sure because that's a good that is a great finn story for sure and he helped cast you like i never i don't have a problem with jj abrams setting things up i don't but he can't knock that shit down man he never has and he, he has made things worse by stepping in and taking the helm of Skywalker. He made things worse. You could have absolutely followed Finn into the world that he expanded in, Rise, in Last Jedi. You absolutely could have, 110%. But because he's not the guy kissing Rey at the end of these movies, maybe that was what he thought he was going to get. Maybe he thought he was going to be a Jedi. But he, he had his own expectations. Yeah, he did. That much is clear from what he said. He had his own expectations and he was let down. Do you know why he has expectations? They put it in his head. Because J.J. Abram never gave him a fucking ending. He should wa- you don't walk into that world and be like, hey, man, I created this character for you. There's so many possibilities for him, man. He's great. And then he's like, yeah, man, thanks. And he's like, absolutely. And then he walked away and he was like, I wonder where they're going to take me. I wonder where they're going to take me. On a road trip with Kelly Marie Tran. Sounds good to me, personally. Like, honestly, at the end of the day, when you look back, it's like, oh, wow, can he have an entire section of the movie where, like, him and all these characters do their own thing while they're, like, slowly killing off all the white Skywalker family bullshit over here? They're making the rich white kid the bad guy while all the minorities and everyone else is getting together and, like, actually fighting for their own freedom and what they believe in? Like the actual rebellion that's going on over here, like all of this stuff that's actually dealing with the power structures of war dynamics, like all of that stuff is cool, like really, but like I can see from his perspective, but most importantly, he walked into that series with an idea of who this character was going to be. And then Disney caved and then they gave it to JJ and JJ didn't have anything for him, anything at all. That's like going to him and being like, Hey man, I created this character. It's great. And he's like, awesome. I'm in good hands, right? And he's like, sure. And then he, things get iffy in his hands. And he's like, oh, thank God JJ's back. And he's like, yeah, man, I totally got an idea. And he's like, what? And he's going to be like, well, we totally listened to the fans who said that they didn't want you to be the lead or to be a Jedi or, hey, or to kiss Ray or do any of that. So we're just going to put you in the back and, like, you know, simper the entire movie. 
and maybe you have force powers, maybe you love her. We won't tell until, you know, an interview months down the line. Like, I'd look at him and be like, fuck you. Really? <laughs> you have? You gave this guy a great start and you can't put a lightsaber in his hand? You can't, put, you can't make him a Jedi? You can't give him, like, legit force powers? He can't be with Rey? She's going to have to, like, love this asshole who committed, like, a bunch of genocide? Like, what are you talking about? Ah, oh, God. That, oh, that's... Oh, God. Uh, kiss still bothers me. Ugh! Look, Alex, why did they kiss? I can't... <laughs> look, I understand the complication of that. I, I'm not even going to get into that. I haven't even read No, let's not. Let's so not. But all Listen, I'm saying is, John, like, we all love you. At least most be, of... Yeah, I just I think he can stand by J.J. Abrams to a certain extent, but he I can't believe he's sitting there and not being like, yeah, he dropped the fucking ball when it came to Skywalker. Had to have. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> the kiss. Anyway. Um. <laughs> anyway. Um. Mandalorian, October 30th. That's when uh, season two starts. Man, I can't wait to watch that first season. Um, this is why I waited. Because, like, now I get to watch an entire season of Mandalorian, and then I get to watch an entire season after it. I get to do that. Nobody else got... Everyone sat around and was like, oh, I can't wait for Mandalorian season one, and then they watched it, and they'd be like, get 10 episodes of a show. No, I get 20, baby. Um, let's see here. Now, there was speculation about a, um, trailer date. Oh, yeah, for Bond tomorrow. For Bond, really? No, I yeah. mean, like, for Mandalorian. Oh, well, yeah, we're probably going to get a trailer of it as it comes in this next month. But yeah, they did say actually that Bond's going to have a trailer tomorrow and some are wondering if they're going to say coming out on uh, VOD in November in theaters too. But I would think Mandalorian would have a trailer before the 30th of October, for sure. We have what, like two months? Yeah, but... um, This September, I would think. To tell the show and the premise of the so yeah they're uh they are um this is more than just speculation uh, okay um somebody uh, somebody was like they don't own me they don't have to <laughs> speculate okay. that they don't have to they simply just let the show speak for itself that's what somebody's speculating of course there's no ruling out a trailer reveal but. Preparing yourself for the right, lack sorry, of one no, may be wise at this point. I'm sorry, we are not going to skirt by that. Somebody said that they don't even have to do a trailer. They can just go Somebody off said that. Show. Somebody okay, did, in fact, cool. say all this. First of all, um, Disney doesn't have to do a trailer for anything. Star Wars anything. doesn't have to do anything. They, they could have watched anything, any, anything since the prequels they put out that has Star Wars name on it. Star Wars people are going to watch it, so... That's already applied. Uh, like, screw that. The balls. And then, yes, Disney is... <laughs> thinking, 
it, if it puts out anything, they don't have to. No, no, they never have to. Ever. They haven't had to for decades. So shove it up your bum bum. And I would say the second point to that is, no, you want to have a trailer. You want people to be excited. I mean, it is interesting if people just started dropping things like they were albums these days. People just drop albums within a week. They're like, by the way, I, I made an album last month. And people are like, what? And then it's out. Like, that happens, sure, because you want to, like, beat leaks. You want people not to find it. So, yeah, if you, you don't want people to leak Mandalorian, that's a great idea, sure. And, like, I assume that's going to start happening one day. Like, we wake up one day and all of a sudden, boom, there's an entire season of the Umbrella Academy. Except, you know, when it takes months to film and there's celebrities and people follow those people. So, like, people know when this stuff is filmed and stuff. I would say... Show a trailer, absolutely. Get people excited. People want to be excited about things these days. It's amazing they didn't release a trailer that announced the date. Like, that's that's curious. Well, it's two months away. I mean, I, that, that also makes me curious about how this season actually looks. Like, maybe there's some things that they did to make this season come out faster. And maybe that means that things are cheaper or that they're more efficient. I am not sure. I'm interested to see why this is coming out. Hmm. But I'm also just interested to see it since I haven't even seen the first one. Oh, get ready. Uh, <laughs> um, I heard it. Yeah, there's a there. There might be Baby Yoda. We don't we don't know yet, everybody. We don't know if there's Baby Yoda. I know there's in, a Baby. Uh, I heard there's a Baby Yoda in season one. I'm talking about season one, man. Oh, I see. Yeah, there may be a Baby Yoda. There's a guy in a Boba Fett suit. Have you heard about this show? Yes. Um, You're rolling your eyes. I can see it through the window from my tree. Uh, no, you can't. Um, My blinds are shut. Unless you have x-ray vision. Oh, shit. He has x-ray I vision. painted a picture on the outside of your blinds of you rolling your eyes on the phone talking to me. <laughs> so that's why the power washer was going. Um. Yep. I'm that good. I can paint an entire mural on the pa- on a window, which is not that big in the first place with the power washer. That's how fudging good I am, baby. On the screen door, no less. Um, Gotta start somewhere. <laughs> um, all right. Um, somber news, then, everyone. Uh, rest in... Peace, Chadwick Boseman, at the age of 43. Pour one out. There you go. Yep. Um, surprise to everyone. Zach was... Well, first of all, he died of uh, cancer that apparently... Colon cancer he was apparently fighting for four years. Uh, yes. Tried filming several movies and doing several media campaigns for him. So, like, um, no one knew. Zach was pretty adamant that the that Marvel knew, but it wasn't just Marvel films that he was making. He made a Spike Lee movie. He made Twenty One Bridges uh, with the Russo brothers. Like he he made other stuff and nobody knew. Um, so he was just doing it quietly and secretly going through surgeries, and dealing with chemo and not telling anybody. Uh, and so this guy who put a lot of effort into both his performances of powerful black icons within the real world, 
But once he got back Panther, he took a lot of responsibility, especially according to Ryan Coogler, in the image and what would be in that movie and what it would represent, knowing how much of an impact it would have and how much of a canvas he would get with the MCU and carried that all the way through even to Endgame and uh, just kept pumping out stuff. So uh, he's really kind of insane when you look at what he did with a superhero character and then did something that was like, legit superhuman people complain about wearing masks today and that that dude went through stage three and stage four cancer making films so he was he was he still has one more film coming out r.i.p man rest in power as people say now Hello? Sorry, I'm muted. <laughs> wow. Still, I, I had to sneeze and I forgot. That. <laughs> I wow. So here's the, here's the thing, folks. He's not going to edit that out. So that's going to no. be a large chunk of silence <laughs> that I didn't say anything for. I thought my earphones were busted. So <laughs> not you guys. Not you guys. Editing. Editing. That's funny. Um... He wow. still has. He also has uh, his. Uh, Marvel's doing the "What If" um, animated show, and he lends his voice to that. And his episode is gonna be "What If T'Challa Became Star Lord." Cute. It's <laughs> so. I'll be looking forward to that one. I wasn't really like looking forward to "What If" because I'm not into that kind of stuff. But um, what kind of stuff? Uh, like what if stories, like you know what I'm saying? Like what if stories? Like I, I, I actually, I kind of don't like them. I, the very fact that the actual actors are getting involved is more than enough for me. Um, but yeah, so that's the thing, and uh, yeah, as, when I told my dad, he immediately just put on, he immediately just started watching all of the Marvel movies he was in. Like when I. The day after, I told him, like, I was, I walked into the living room and he was watching Civil War. He went all the way from there, all the way to, like, Infinity, all the way to Infinity War, I think. Uh, I watch those movies a lot and I will be going back to them, especially knowing what he went through from Black Panther to Endgame. And the thing is, like, Infinity War and Black Panther were filmed at the same time and then Endgame is just one shot of him walking out there. Uh, Black Panther is the main one. Uh, Civil War, I, th I don't think he had been diagnosed, but he was really a fax, I believe. Mm, so, yeah. um, Black Panther is the main one that I really want to get to. Just like I wanted, I don't really want to watch it within the context of Civil War or Infinity. I just want to watch that one on my own when I'm ready. But I am certainly going to take an entire day if I can and watch Get On Up and. Uh, 42 again because I really do like those movies there was another one that he made in between there that's on Netflix um, he was in Gods of Egypt which Zach watched again oh uh, god he was in that no yeah. uh, oh. the two that I'm most interested in are The Five Bloods and 21 Bridges I haven't seen those yet and I'm very excited for The Five Bloods because I did watch Do the Right Thing again recently and I'm very much in the headspace of Spike Lee and the reason why he chose Chadwick Boseman he's like 
the characters in the film view his character as a superhero in their own eyes. So he's like, I chose, you know, <laughs> I chose James Brown. I chose Jackie Robinson. I chose Thurgood Marshall. Marshall, I have to see as well. Um, and I chose Black Panther. I chose T'Challa. He's like, I chose an actual superhero. And he's like, I didn't know how much I was actually right and how sad I uh, found out that I was right under the circumstances. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of his work. I haven't seen Marshall and I haven't seen 21 Bridges or The Five Bloods, but I was planning on seeing The Five Bloods recently. But now I want to watch his work in chronological order up to that because it isn't, it isn't a lot, but it's so very good. Like, all the performances are very interesting. Like, his James Brown, I think the way that he pushes the angry moments of Jackie Robinson and the um, intense moments of James Brown are kind of the same, but they're also not the same people. And I think he knows that very well, and it shows up in the performances. I also think the humanity he brings to Robinson, considering Robinson played himself as well in his own version of a movie years ago, like decades ago, I think it's very interesting his how human his take is. Uh, and then I haven't seen Marshall. Um, I didn't know it was about Thurgood Marshall. I thought it was like about a town called Marshall that had to do with a racist um, uh, situation. But uh, I didn't know it was about Thurgood Marshall and his life or like a situation in his life. So I'll, I would like to look into who, what Thurgood Marshall did and um, maybe some video footage and then probably go off and see what his difference is. Because I think he has good ideas and visions of who Robinson and Brown were. Uh, and then 21 Bridges, he gets to play a cop who's like, has this intense situation. Also, it was like a noirish night movie, and I want to see that totally. But The Five Bloods is the one I'm looking forward to the most. <clears throat> so, yeah. I know you and Zach were, or Zach was trying to recast trying to like who would recast him and i'm like i'm not in the headspace to do that right now like that's it's too early i know that there are people who are like that's incredibly rude and stuff like that but also that shit was going to happen the moment the first mcu superhero died because you guys again this is not mcu boots up very important nowadays when it comes to our action movies of today it's not about the actors. We're not going to see Robert Downey Jr. movies. We're not going to see Chris Evans movies. We're not even going to see Scarlett Johansson movies. We're going to see Black Panther. We're going to see Black Widow. We're going to see Captain America and Iron Man. It's the characters. And that's immediately what they're going to do. So I, I, it's, it's expected. You could say it's heartless, it's whatever, but it's the distance of media in general, and that was created years ago. So... I'm not as judgmental about it when I come across it, but um, in my own headspace, being as morbid as I am, yeah, there's a lot of different approaches that you can take to it that um, are fun and interesting in my mind. There's a lot of people saying this, sister. There's a lot of people saying bring Michael Jordan back. There's a lot of people saying the the character from the Mountain Kingdom. Like, There's a lot of ways you can do it, but the very fact that none of us saw this coming and they're in the position they are, that's sad, and that's sad for everyone no one wants to take that position from him no one wanted to take it under those circumstances and maybe time is what people need to look at of the amount of effort he used to put that position in the first place like maybe he's the first one that would say no 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 i built that movie i built that world 
we made it so important and so big so that it could continue. Please let it continue. Don't, don't let it die with me. Maybe that's something he would say. I don't know. But it seems like all the effort and time he put into the long game, the image that would be held after he passed away. Like, that's the difference. Like, with Heath Ledger or James Dean or Brittany Murphy, a lot of the most powerful young Hollywood deaths are because their lives were cut short um, immediately. Car wreck, drug addiction, um, a disease, something very quick, um, not just cancer. This is something he knew over time and fought. And as he was losing and getting closer and closer to it, he did the best he could to push as much as he could out and knew he was going. Like he, he worked as hard as he could to create his own legend. And I think as time goes further, I, he would want people to further the path of Black Panther. And in that, in that path, like I have the distance, not knowing him personally, not having worked on those projects, to think about that a lot easier. But what I think about when people ask that question is the people who did work on it, on it and create it and the, and the trouble and the trials and tribulations and problems and the stress and the sad guilt that's going to come from um, the grief that's going to come from sitting in their offices and going, how are we going to continue the Black Panther world? You know, what are we going to do about this? Maybe we don't even do Black Panther. Maybe the sister creates her own character. Like, uh, like it, the, the discussions themselves, the conversations are going to be hard. Absolutely. That's what I think about the most is like he, he wants you, he wants us to continue this idea, this IP, this legend without him. He built it so that it could last without him intentionally and they have to have those conversations for him and that's hard that's the hardest thing to me that conversation has to happen yeah that i could i could i could have told you i when i saw the headline i'm like this is fake so i, I dug and i'm like oh god it's real oh, oh god when i saw, there's a lot of people who use rip to describe cancellation of somebody nowadays. So when I saw R.I.P. I knew right away he was dead. I knew right away he was dead. Mm. I didn't believe for one second that it was come out that he was like, had sexually assaulted a woman or that he had done something like that. He never gave that impression to me. He always seemed like an earnest, fun, chill dude. Um, I knew immediately when I saw that I was like, he died. And I was like, maybe it was a car wreck or a plane crash. I didn't think it was cancer. That's the shocking thing. Yeah. I, I, I like celebrity deaths. Suck, and he doesn't have that kind of impact on me that like Robin Williams had. Robin Williams was a huge, huge impact on my life as a child and as, as a, somebody who loves comedy. Bozeman was somebody that I respected as an actor. And when he got Black Panther, I was like, fantastic. And when, when 21 Bridges and Five Bloods came out, I was like, I cannot wait to get to those. Like him out to see what he does as his own person rather than just playing real people or this idea that was created years ago in a comic book. Um, he gets to play actual characters. He was getting there. He had, a, in my opinion, he had his whole life ahead of him to really play around. I wanted to see him in comedies. I wanted to see him in like legit intense dramas. Um, he, I, I wanted to see him in so many things. And when I saw his work in The Five Bloods, I was like, dude, 
nothing is better than seeing like the proper intense actor in a de- in a Spike Lee movie. And I don't know. I he had the ability, in my opinion, to have the caliber of Denzel for sure, and in, in the image of Denzel for sure. I don't want there to be a next Denzel. I want there to be three or four next Denzels. I want there to be way more. I want there to be millions of Jimmy Smiths. I want there to be millions of Jackie Chans. I want there. I want equality. I want there to be a lot more built up. And he was certainly taking that, taking us in that direction by taking all these like popular black icons and then going to like T'Challa, which is it's just awesome. Like his performance of Black Panther is so much fun. It's sad. Rest in peace, King. <laughs> you, you did more for your job and for us, just for people to laugh and enjoy your movies. You, you, you understand the long game of cinema and the power of it, and that is, that's amazing. I, I will forever respect that. From like human being to human being, he made he basically understood the thing that Charlie Chaplin knew from day one that every like great filmmaker knows from day one that it's the long game like you are making something that will be watched 50 years down the line by somebody they'll just turn it on and they'll see it and you will affect them with what you do so put everything you can into it into like that 50 year long game wakanda forever wakanda forever james brown dude i'm gonna i can't wait to watch get on up again i love james yeah. brown i've james watched brown, bits- I've watched bits and pieces of it when my dad's watching it. and uh... This is what I want you to do, Chris. Out of all oh, the... Oh, boy. It involved Bozeman. This is what I want you to do. Watch, watch Get On Up or not. I think you will one day for sure. This is what I want you to do because this is what Bozeman did too. Cut for getting that role is how much he enjoyed just genuinely that he didn't consider it homework for his work is listening to James Brown. So I one of the greatest joys of my life working in a, re- a record shop is when people would just put on somebody that I've always heard about but never sat down and listened to a record of theirs. And his records weren't like ever that long. He was from an era where they were just meant to be on vinyls like 20, 20. So you look at like 40 minutes. But just I suggest you put on a James Brown record next time you can, beginning to end. And when as you do it, imagine Bozeman dancing and singing and it'll make you smile ear to ear so you don't have to see the movie you don't have to compare him just listen to that music and imagine him in his house doing chores just you know driving around going for a run exercising and with a smile smiling ear to ear listening to james brown because that's what that that's what happens when you listen to him it's just unbelievably fun music and he, he just loved it he just loved doing it so that's what I'm going to do next time I get a chance after I watch that movie. I'm just going to close my eyes, listen to a James Brown record, and just enjoy him enjoying it in my head. Um, to bring the mood back up, uh, I'm scrolling through uh, my news feeds. There are... Hang on. <laughs> Things we've missed. Uh, no, I, I want to bring some levity to the... Uh... Well, fruit flies get in my room. Um, I'm gonna bring some levity as well because I watched uh, things this week that I want to talk about. Um, but yeah, real quick. Um, oh, oh, I got two of them. 
So, real quick, um, MSN.com yesterday posted um, this headline. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is 56. The star of The Matrix, Point Break, Speed, and Jack Wick. Wow. <laughs> Talks about his motorcycles keeping fit and his spirit, Jack Wick. I hope the next John Wick is about how the news articles about an assassin named Jack Wick gets out and he wants to kill that guy. I'd watch that. <laughs> Everybody wants to know if Jack Wick is Maybe dead. that's his way of going underground. Maybe, like, he created Jack Wick so that everybody would go after him thinking he was actually John Wick. But then John Wick actually, like, starts to, like, he just disappears. Dude, that's the only amount of camouflage he does. That's right. The amount. They're like, not even the last name? No. And they're like, all right. And then everyone just goes with it. They're like, oh, Jack Wick. Oh, not even the he same He must Wick. be John Wick. Huh. Well, no, I was looking for John Wick. I'm sorry. I'm not even going to go to his room and see if it's the same guy. I'm not even going to wait in here and see if it's the same guy, even though I took all day off with my family. So I'm just going to go see them then. Thank you. Oh, man, Jack Wick. Well, I would have had egg on my face. Uh, no. John Wick. <laughs> Fucking John Wick. <laughs> uh, I am easily entertained. Uh, anyway, so... Is there anything else besides... Oh, yeah, Tenet. Uh, <laughs> you slide, dog. You slide, no, dog. Talk about you first. You you go first. Do you want to end on Tenet? Before we go to I, I watched a, Yeah. I watched a new movie, too, is all I'm saying. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, my new movie is probably not as big as yours. Um, I, well, I saw, first of all, I just want to point this out because this was amazing. I haven't seen my sister in a bit and because I caught the COVID, um, I was able to quarantine and then, uh, gained immunity through it. Um, and I had an opportunity to spend some time with all my family and I got to see my brother, got to see my parents and I got to see my sister. And I went to go see my sister. When I went to go see my sisters, we watched a bunch of movies. We saw, um, she had never we started watching army of darkness and she did not like it and i was like well you've been watching a lot of horror lately um what do you would you be interested in the thing <laughs> and she said okay that's a better alternative that's a much uh, better alternative to army of darkness <laughs> you've been watching a lot of horror it's like i don't like army of darkness well you've been watching a lot of horror lately what about john carpenter's the thing Ooh, wow, yeah, I know. Um, so she had no idea what it was about. Much and different. I started, it, I started it, and like she had a great sound system, so the music kicked in, and it was very atmospheric. She'd never, she like knows Halloween, but she hasn't really spread her wings in John Carpenter yet. She doesn't know his scores very well and all that yet. So she was like, right away, I like this better. This tone and atmosphere is better. Is that a helicopter chasing a dog? And I was like, just stick around, lady. So. <laughs> she sticks around, things get interesting, things get creepy, and then the dog scene happens where the dog turns into the thing, and 
shit got real for her. Like, she was, like, in it from there. That's the make-or-break moment. If you can make it past the most disgusting scene in the movie, one of the most disgusting scenes in the movie, then you know what you're in for. And my sister has, I gotta give her credit, she's been watching more scary movies. She's been pushing herself more and more in that realm. She watched Event Horizon. She watched Prometheus. She's been watching more and more alien movies. She's been dipping her toes into it. And I got to be honest, I think I cranked it up a bit. But I also think that she was looking for something smart. And that's exactly what the thing is. You don't know who the alien is. The alien could be anybody. And that makes things like a puzzle to figure out. And she was 100% in it. She thought it was beautiful looking. The thing is amazing. It was fantastic. We loved it. Scared the living crap out of her, the monsters. At one point, she couldn't even look at them. They were so gross. And for me, it was intense, too, because I love that movie. Uh, And then we watched Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which she had also never seen. Um, And then we watched Face the Music. Um, Oh, there you go. So I really like Face the Music. I think it's actually very well written. Um it may when you start it it may seem like it's a little bit cheap looking like maybe they filmed it in some just you know normal la neighborhoods it looks a little cheap i just think it's because like cameras these days are super clear but as the movie goes on you start to see where the production goes to and then like the care goes to and it starts to get more like extravagant and crazy and funny um it's really ambitious and it's really out there, but the script is my favorite thing. There are some things about it that I had a problem with. They, they had this side thing with the princesses, the wives of the two um, dudes, and you think it's going to go somewhere, but it doesn't. And it almost feels like they filmed it as if there was supposed to be something there or wrote something for them, but nothing comes of it. And it almost feels. Like there's something missing there. At the very least, they could have done something, but really it's like either that or it just doesn't come across as funny as the re- repet- like repeat the ongoing joke they have with it, which I do think is funny, but I don't think it's necessarily worth it. It just seems like they went out of their way to get them out of the way when it probably would have been more interesting if they were a little bit more involved. But I do like the daughters, and I like the story that the guys are going through. I like the makeup. I like, yeah, the makeup is really good. They have this extra character that is a robot that looks great and really, um, uh, really becomes more interesting as the movie goes on. And I'll, I like a lot of it. Um, there are some things that don't really work out. Um, I think the guy playing Lou, uh, Louis Armstrong is doing a lot. I don't know if that's, on point with how Louis Armstrong was, but maybe subtlety is not the name of the game for that performance. Um, everyone else is doing pretty good. Uh, the daughters, I think, the daughters are the most interesting thing. I can see how a lot of people could think the girls, one girl is just doing Keanu, but I also think she's doing her own thing as well as just sounding and looking like Keanu. But the other girl is doing her own thing entirely. She looks like um, Britta from Community, Gillian Jacobs, but she's doing her own thing. Like it's, it, I could see how some people could be like, "This is super weird," but I was totally down for it and totally in tune with it. 
and I liked them both. The worst part about the movie, bar none, the music. Yeah, huh. I'd probably say so. Um, the whole movie is about them leading to make this song that changes the world. And while I do think plot-wise, <laughs> not even the world, the universe, <laughs> that saves the universe, do I think that they do something within the story that makes it okay that the song is not great? That there's an element to it that's like, it doesn't matter if the song is good or not, that it, it has another aspect to it that's like, okay, it still saves the world. But the song isn't good. It just sounds like a Mufford and Son song. And like, like a wah, like that's, it just sounds like a pop song, like a generic punk song of the last five years played by <laughs> famous musicians. I think that sucks. Bill and Ted but sold I, out. <laughs> um, I don't want to get into how the song is made, but it's like, it's it It really sucks that it is that song. Um, it sucks because when you reach that point of the movie, you don't care if the song is the most amazing song ever. You enjoy the ending. But also there's a part of you that is almost like, if you if you went to a school and your teacher was like your son made something and you know it just wasn't very good and you're like my son's great my son is artistic my son is creative excuse me and then you take it home and it's like crap and you're like oh ooh mm. I still love you you're so <laughs> going on the inside of the fridge folded up uh, so like. <laughs> I, I like there was a kind of a bitter taste in my mouth, especially when I haven't I haven't rewatched the first one yet. I'm going to be watching that um, probably tonight. Um, and I think the song God Gave Rock and Roll to You at the end of Bogus Journey is genuinely a catchy song. It may not be the best song, but it is like a catchy chorus and you can sing it. And I also grew up on that, so that helps me a lot. But no, I think it's actually genuinely a catchy song with some interesting riffs in it. But this song is just nothing special. And neither is necessarily God Gave Rock and Roll to You, but it's at least catchy. I can't, I can't tell you a, a, lyric, a lyric of the song at the end of the movie. But I can tell you I liked it. And I do think the script is very smart. And I do think by the end of the movie, I start. I started out thinking this looks kind of cheap, and ended going, "Wow, um, they put everything uh, into that," and I loved it. Um, I think it's a solid trilogy. I think it's something that starts. I have to rewatch the first movie again to see like the production value and everything again. But it always, to me, seemed like um, a sitcom that was accidentally made into a movie, kind of thing. Um, but I have to look at the cinematography again to that first one. Um, but the si- the sequel to Excellent Adventure Bogus Journey is it looks amazing. It has great set design. It has great um, uh, kind of like German expressionism. They go to hell. They have special effects. They build robots. There's like a Jim Henson robot. Like it, it has everything. And this one it applies a lot of interesting things that have like come into play with. Um, filmmaking today, but uh, of the great, great makeup stuff. I gotta say, the makeup effects in this movie are solid. Uh, so yeah, I would say for now, B, 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 B minus maybe mm. B, B, B minus. Because I think Bogus Journey is like a B, 
And I think uh, Excellent Adventure, as far as I can recall, is like a B minus. I think this may be in that range there. It's above average for sure. Also, one more thing. Okay, go ahead. No, that's it. That's uh, all I want. Um, I braved the cruel world and I went out. I just came out, actually, of a tenant. Granted, you've done it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will also say that there was a preview of Dune that apparently leaked. Get that out of the way first. Get that out of the way first. Wait, wait. Did the preview leak or did the information about the preview leak? No, the the preview actually leaked. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, um, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, Alex, oh, my God. Let me guess. David Lynch shows up as one of the slave girls as a cameo. Oh, damn it. I just lost $100. Unless you're lying to me. Uh, I'm not. I did not see David Lynch in this this preview. Oh, my God. God, it looks great. Sweet. What'd you see? Did you see any sandworms? No. Damn. Only people. Damn. And the hand thing. They showed the hand thing. What was the hand thing again? Where he puts the oh, hand no, in the box. The hand in the box, yeah. Okay, so you see it like... Did it look like... Delicious? And then it's... Like, like, and, then sp- and then it's spliced... And then... It cuts to different all the all the different characters that uh, start in the movie. My God, this movie starts started. I forgot. Um, so did the last one. Last one had stars too. Were they stars at the time though? That's what I'm saying. Patrick Stewart was famous. Um, Kyle MacLachlan was not a star, but um, a lot of the older people were known. Yeah. So yeah. Oh my God. It looks amazing. And when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, it's that! <laughs> um, I, am very, I am now very much looking forward to this. Um, now that I've actually like, seen an emotion, um, and, on a big, and, on, and in the best place possible on the big screen, I am looking forward to Dune 2020, Denis Villeneuve. Um, I think it's so interesting that everyone's so excited for a movie about the cartoon strip Doonesbury, but I'm, I guess I'm into it with your recommendation. <laughs> then we, then uh, I watched Tenet. Tenet! Tenet! I can't do it as loud. Um, I don't even know where to start, man. That's how wicked this movie gets. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watched Chris Stuckman's review, like, last week, and I can't help but agree, like, the way Nolan does sound mixing and editing, like, he prioritizes everything but the dialogue. That's interesting, considering I've heard a lot about it having a lot of scenes where people are just expositing, like, exposition. Yeah, and it, and... It kind of felt like they were mumbling at some points. 
And I was like, okay, I need to hear what they're saying. But Ludwig Gerson, whatever, however you say his last name, the composer, who is great. Um, dude, you gotta turn it down. <laughs> I gotta hear what they're saying. So I might see it again sometime. I think I'm just gonna take a break from seeing movies in theaters, even though I've pretty much done that for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. but, I, but if I do see it again in the movie theater, I'm bringing closed captioning because I feel like that's there's a like it was really hard to follow with the information I was managed to obtain. And like, wow. Um, some people say that as per typical Nolan, he doesn't really get the heart right. Because it's more plot driven than actually like than character, and I'll say it's there, but like not the most compelling thing for something so complex. Um, I will good Alex. I will tell you this. Good God, this movie look, looks beautiful. Like, it's not the most colorful of palettes, but, like, the composite, uh, like, this might, barring me seeing Interstellar, um, which I have not actually seen yet. Um, wow. Maybe for the curiosity, will folks? Um, I think this is Nolan's best-looking movie. Um, what about Dunkirk? Dunkirk, uh, uh, yeah. no, I think it looks better than Dunkirk. I think it's a lot sharper, moves a lot better. Um, so here's the thing that I watched recently of Nolan's that I thought was really good. Um, Patrick H. Willems uh, did a whole thing about um, Christopher Nolan's work, and he talked about how there's an efficiency to storytelling that he does all the way up to Batman Begins, how it's mostly medium shots. He doesn't move the camera a lot, never dollies, doesn't really do anything like that. It's mostly about keeping people within the frame, doing tight close-ups, and, you know, maybe following someone, someone with the camera. Then Batman Begins comes and he gets to play a little bit more, but mostly he can't really apply that style to action. And it isn't until The Dark Knight where you get that opening scene where the camera's moving left and right, following people yep. down the hall. It's just a zoom. That, like, IMAX made Christopher Nolan better. And when you watch him go from, like, The Dark Knight to Dunkirk, you start to realize the more and more IMAX is in his films, the more and more he can't do close-ups that way that he used to. Because if you do a close-up, then people start to focus on the eye or the mouth. The, the frame is different, so he's got to give more headspace to the actors. He has to back the camera up more, therefore move more. He doesn't use more dialogue more. He's actually doing more cinematic storytelling. That is why I want to see his film on the big screen, why people will wait to see his movie on the big screen, and why it deserves to be seen on the big screen. But you should wait, Christopher Nolan. But regardless of the fact that his filmmaking is getting better with his understanding of language getting better by 
the changing of camera. It used to be that him and Wally Cypher would put it over their shoulder, but the IMAX is too big to do that. So he has to move it around to get something a little bit more dynamic. So it's interesting you're saying all this about the dialogue not being interesting, but the way the camera is and what he's shooting. No, it's not that it's not interesting. It's you just can't hear it. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, so that was the other point you made, too. Um... His action is so much better. Mm. He has gotten better at action. Um, like he's got. Oh man, he has seen. He has seen some action movies that were made in the last five years. Um, Interesting. So, like he had, like if you remember the Dark Knight. And how wild all the fight scenes were in that movie. It's so much better in Tenet. Um, and <laughs> if I ever meet Christopher Nolan, I have to, I'm going to have to ask him, what is it with this infatuation of ever since after like The Dark Knight Rises, what is it with people looking exactly like him in, in his movies? Like, there was Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception, and there's Robert uh-huh. Pattinson in Tenet. Like. Well, that's what filmmakers do all the time. Also, Robert Pattinson. I accept him as Bruce Wayne now. <laughs> like, he. Like, I. Anybody can play Batman, but it's like. It's Bruce Wayne, I think, is what. Everybody gets everybody trips up, trips over, and like like uh, man. So like he looks good. He gives he he gives a good performance, even though it's a Nolan movie, and that's not his. That's not what his movies are known for, except except Inception. Um. And maybe uh, Prestige, too. You know what? Prestige. I'll throw Prestige in there. Hugh Jackman did a really good job. Um, And and also Heath Ledger. Jesus. Oh, how did I almost forget Heath Ledger? Um, But, um, yeah, it's just... For me, overall, it's like... That was a fun ride, but... Dang, I gotta understand. Like, I really want to know. Like, I I need to see it again because like a lot of things still don't make sense to me, and I'm pretty sure it was explained in the movie. I just need close captioning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I ultimate ultimately I liked it. It was really fun. Can I? What would you say if you could take? What would you say the plot is? Okay. Um. So in Tenet. Also, yeah, uh, John David Washington's character. He is unnamed. Yeah, he's just protagonist. Yeah, he's just the protagonist. No, that's his name in the movie too. The protagonist. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I've, I believe me. I've I've heard that a lot. Um, 
So there are okay. So the plot of Inception, that Inception. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. The plot of Tenet revolves around the idea of time being inverted. So there is. So somebody is going to destroy the world from the future in the past. That's the best that I could surmise. Sounds okay. Gotcha. Because, like, they found a way to move time backwards. They've... they have developed technology to move time backwards. And the idea is if they... It's like the grandfather paradox is how they explained it. Um, gotcha. Whereas... Um, if you went back and killed your... If you went back and killed your grandfather... Um... Would it be? Would it have been a bad thing if you? Would did you commit like? Um, if you went back and killed your grandfather, would you have been alive to commit that crime? Yes. Okay. Um, which that's the whole, that's the crux in the movie. That's what the whole movie revolves around, and they craft like really interesting action. And I want to see the behind the scenes of that because I really need to see how they did all that backwards that like with. Apparently, it's like only like around three hundred VFX shots, which is less than most rom coms. Um, <laughs> I am blown away by that too. The practicality of every everything looks good. Like the practical effects, all is like they crashed a plane into a hangar. Yeah, I know. That's I insane. Um. Otherwise, yeah, I had I, I had a good time with it. Um and uh, I guess B plus. What is it? Your favorite Michael? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was thinking him crashing the plane in the hangar reminded me of Michael Bay. But is it your favorite Christopher Nolan? No, I still hang. I still hang by the Dark Knight because it's because it's probably the dumbest one he's made, and that's that saying old, something. Ah, uh, that old piece of shit. All right. Okay. Uh, no, I think the dumbest one he's probably made. Ooh. I mean, the one that wasn't trying to be like, that wasn't like trying to be crazy. Like, you know what I'm uh, saying? Like, it wasn't trying to play with like physics or anything like that. Like, he's not challenging the, the, the reality or time. Like, that was the simplest thing. And he knocked it out of the park. Like, that's what I mean by dumb. I think he could have a smart movie that is, that doesn't, that isn't necessarily intelligent. But right. I think he can have intelligent movies that are also dumb, which to me, his dumbest movie is Interstellar. You might, I think that, I think that Tenet might take the cake for you on that. No, Honestly. I mean, my problem with Interstellar is very simple. It's what it all leads to. It leads to a scene that to me just does not have the emotional resonance 
that he wants it to have, and then also doesn't look very interesting. And all of it, like, for this movie being all about quantum physics and having all of these things correct and right, it all leads to this moment that's sort of like, yeah, okay, we all knew that. We all saw that coming. This doesn't really have the emotional aspect you feel. So it's not a smart movie because it doesn't pull off what it's trying to do. It is an intelligent movie. Like, Tenet can be an intelligent movie, but also dumb, but also entertaining. And, like... It could be all so three. I think it's <laughs> what it is. I just need to see it again with closed captioning. That's all I'm saying. The Dark Knight is a smart movie about things that look dumb. Like, it's a guy in a bat suit and a guy in a clown makeup wandering around a city. But they're also, like, tearing each other apart from the inside. They're getting personal with this shit in the city's their playground. And, like, people are getting desperate and scared left and right. And then there's this guy who wants to change things from, like, the system. But really, he gets half his face burned off. And it's like... This stuff is dumb, but it's intense as hell. So, yeah, like, it's a smart movie. And it also steals from a smart, like, aesthetically from another smart movie, Keith. And he knew what he was doing. So, for now, B+. Okay. Also, I will say Kenneth Branagh is a hell of an antagonist in this movie. I, 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 was, I was on board for, getting, for watching his ass die. Um... He's hit or miss for me. He's got. He's either he. I either like him or I don't. So there you go, everybody. Tenant. That's all the tenant. Um. That's what all the tenant I surmounted to. I will probably do a follow up at some point, but um. All right. So now yeah, another yeah. four years till the next uh, Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. Sad. Um, anyway. Uh, so that's pretty much it. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about. Um, uh, let's see. Can't think of anything. No. Yeah. All right. Mad Max Fury Road. Mm-hmm. The day has finally arrived. I'm finally here. We're finally here. The fantastic fourth film of the Mad Max series. So, Alex, how did George Miller get here after Beyond Thunderdome? Well, I'm not going to tell you, Chris. Cool. All right. Um, so, this movie... Okay, so um, <laughs> in between Road Warrior and Thunderdome, which were his second and third films, George Miller, um, he had a section in the Twilight Zone movie, which is um, like the Twilight Zone TV show. You would get every episode, different filmmakers would come and tell a story. The Twilight Zone movie is, I believe, three or four different filmmakers coming in and making a piece of it, just... I, I'm going to look at it real quick just to see who the four filmmakers were. It was produced by Steven Spielberg, but it was, um, uh, let's see, Joe Dante, John Landis, George Miller, and Steven Spielberg. So, you know, we're pretty, pretty good filmmakers. Um, One of those things just does not belong. Well, uh, here's the interesting thing. John Landis had a section where there's this big helicopter and he had an old man carrying two kids running away from this exploding helicopter crashing behind him, except, oops, it 
it crashed too close and killed all three of them on set. And that's why you don't see John Landis movies anymore, really. And so the movie had, you know, a tumultuous history behind it. It didn't really do as well as everybody thought it was going to because, you know, three people are dead. Uh, Oh, my God. um, Thunderdome happens in 1985. And, of course, you know that story. Uh, His friend died and he lost faith in it. And he really just kind of focused on the action of it. Um, It was also around this time that he uh, got married around 1985. Um, After the um, Thunderdome was done, he decided he wanted to move on. And he got his uh, next big movie, which was The Witches of Eastwick. And it had like Cher and Susan Sarandon and Jack Nicholson. It did all right. It it got him a little bit of clout. Um, He... uh, kept working on tv a lot and then at around 1992 he made lorenzo's oil which is based on the true story of a kid who had this disease and the parents and the desire and the doctors got together to try to figure out what was wrong with him and uh it's a very good movie i, wa- I remember watching it in high school he got um an oscar nomination for screenplay it was also around 1992 that he divorced his wife they did have a kid but um he later went on to uh meet somebody else on a tv show uh, an editor, actually, and they would uh, work together on Babe, a Pig in the City. But before then, he made Babe, and Babe was actually a really big hit. He wasn't the director, but he was the um, producer of it. He would actually just direct the sequel, uh, which actually was a big, big flop for him, and um, didn't really do very well. It was actually the, <laughs> it was actually the, the worst movie of that year. I think it was 1998, but um, he uh, met uh, Margaret Siskel, uh, and she would edit Babe, and she would go on to do other things. But it was in the mid-90s, he was walking, I think 1995, he was walking down the street, and he was crossing the street, and he had the idea of a continuous chase movie in the Mad Max world. And by the time he crossed the street, he um, was like, ah, whatever. And then later in the mid-90s, late 90s he uh met up with a guy who gave him a story idea for half of it and um he and this guy got together and um decided that they in i think about 1998 that they were going to get together and actually start working on this idea and it was uh later fleshed out by george miller when he was on the plane and he basically thought of the second and third acts while he was flying over the pacific and uh, that eventually ended up being Fury Road by the, I think, the year 2000, maybe by 1998 already. But it was him and Brendan McCarthy just basically sitting in their offices working on the storyboards. And they fleshed it all out like in the center of his production company's offices. They got these storyboard artists to come in. They spent like a bunch of money on it. And they worked on these like amazing storyboards and they splattered the walls of this clear office. And um, you, if you watch into the building, you would see the walls and you would see the storyboards. And they just kept working on this. And then in the year 2000, they started scouting locations and they got to a place in Africa, in Africa, Namibia. And they found a great desert up there. And they started they started building a warehouse and they started building cars there and they started getting ready and then 9/11 happened and it ruined the stock market and it boosted their uh budget up and they had to put everything on hold 
Um, and they were starting to talk to Mel Gibson and then Mel Gibson's stuff started to go through. And then they were like, well, we'll start talking to Heath Ledger and Heath Ledger was interested. And then Heath Ledger passed away. And then they Good were like, Lord. Oh. so then they were like, okay, so let's go to Australia back where we went to the road warrior and we'll go out there and we'll like start checking that out. And they looked out there and it was like beautiful and red. And they were like, okay, we can work out here. And so they started building another warehouse and they started building more cars and they started working on it. They started getting close. They shipped back the cars that they have from Namibia. And um, then uh, right before they were about to shoot, there was a massive like biblical rainfall in their place in Australia. And they're like, oh man, we got rained out. Well, we'll just wait until it all dries up. And then it all dried up. And then the grass started to grow everywhere. And now it looks like Ireland out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> can't really do a desert film in like a vast valley of beautiful green they're like oh this is all beautiful but it just fuck it screwed us so um they were like crap so let's go back to Namibia. so they figured out that they can go out there and they started setting everything up again this time they had a lot more cars made so they were a little bit more prepared production wise and they started shooting um test footage they started shooting the the guys on the poles people in front of cars People wearing the outfits. They started shooting scenes. Like the storyboards were a huge help in all of this. They eventually started getting the cast together. And um, about 2013 or 20, 2012, they went out and they started working on production. And they were in the middle of nowhere. So they had to set everything up miles away from civilization so that they could do everything. So they had trailers and tents for everybody. But they were out there for quite a long time. And tensions were high because pretty much every single scene was a stunt. Every single scene was a big thing that the actors had to prepare for. And no one could really see what George Miller was trying to get to and trying to make. They just had these like storyboards and not a lot of dialogue. And Charlie Theron and Tom Hardy were basically contentious about who was the real like person leading the story because neither one of them knew what george wanted and knew what they wanted from the characters necessarily and so hardy was like really frustrated about it he's admitted all of this and it made things really hard but like it got to the point where miller was like okay we just we can't finish all of this we need to get out of this fucking desert so everyone that he called he got the last few shots he knew he had to get out there and he uh cut and he let everyone go back and he cut as much footage with um margaret his wife, who's the editor of the film, they started working on it. And then they decided to do a test screening with the studio. So they had the storyboards be the setups for the parts that they hadn't finished yet. And then the bulk of the film was there, but they didn't want to do that. Like George Miller believed in like, he believed in showing test screenings when the full product was there, but the the studio wanted test screenings done. They did it. The people didn't really get it. And then the studio was like, in five months, we're going to do another test screening and we hope you take their notes seriously. And George Miller and his wife were like, oh, my God. So he just went off. He shot the rest of the movie and what he needed to get. Then he went, sat down with his wife, and they edited it the way they wanted to edit. They didn't take they didn't take any of their notes for what it was. They just made the film the way they wanted to make it. And that's the film we see today. Studio loved it. Test screens loved it. It was perfect once. Everyone could see it. The cast saw it a couple of, um, I think, like a month or two before they they showed the trailer at comic-con it may have been at cans or may have been around that time but it was around that time that like hardy was like oh i get it now and i was just i was 
very bad on set and he took responsibility for a lot of his actions and he apologized to Miller in public. Um, the Comic-Con trailer was amazing. Everyone loved it. Blew everyone away. Um, uh, everyone was excited for it. I was excited for it. Um, Can it got a standing ovation. Um, its opening was amazing. Uh, and uh, it got 10 Oscar. It got it, Well, it got more than 10 Oscar nominations, but um, it won 10 Oscars, including getting nominated for Best Picture and Miller for Director. Um, and I personally, I personally think it was the best picture of that year. I personally think it's the best action film of the last 20 years. It certainly is the best action film of the last decade. Um, and whether that is the peak or we continue to go further with our action films, which I think we are, I do think that I love the fact that we live in the, the in that decade within the past. If you want to give a little bit of a favorite up to Iron Man, you can, but just from 2010 to 2020, from it leading like to the halfway point of Mad Max and then ending on Endgame, if you wanted to, it's pretty amazing, except it didn't. It ended on Skywalker, and I just have to admit that. Like, that's why the world is the way it is. It ended on Skywalker, but... It, to go from Mad Max to Endgame is pretty amazing. It's pretty crazy. We had like Fast Five in there. We had so many things. Um, it was an amazing ten years of action, and this was the highlight, the halfway point. And it's perfect. It's perfect, in my opinion. Um, it it was. I looked forward to it the moment I saw a, like an inch of footage of it, and I it has never let me down every time I watched it. And I watched both the normal version i'm watching right now again and i watched the blood and chrome one which i had never black seen black and chrome black and chrome sorry uh which i had never seen and i loved it it was like watching the movie for the first time again loved it nothing ah so every time i see this movie it gets better like <laughs> Um, so I did, I actually did watch it black and chrome. I had to pay for I had to pay 15 bucks for it because it's not available to rent. I did too. I'm glad I did. Oh my God. It was shot to be this way. It had to have been shot to be this way. It was not, but George Miller does think that the black and chrome version is his favorite one. He, sw- he says a story at the beginning where, um, he was doing apparently in the eighties when you're doing the composers are doing the score with an orchestra. They don't have the color, they don't have the film and footage. They have it projected in a just black and white copy. And he walked into one of those sessions and he saw it on the wall and he saw Road Warrior and he was like, "This is the way it should have been shot." And so when he made this, he wanted to do it black and white, but no studio would let him do it in black and white. But he like. Once they shot it this way, and he knew that the transfer was going to be made in black and white, there is there are twitches and little things that you can that they did within that transfer. Like I found that my TV could go in black and white, but it doesn't have the depth of field that this one has. It highlights certain areas. There's different color ranging, um, and it's beautiful. It helps paint a lot of the. It helps to paint over a lot of the CGI that you can clearly see in the color. Like and forgive, yep. sure, but like it allows you to. It, 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 it makes things feel a little bit more realistic. The night shots are unbelievably beautiful. And the stunts look even more real. Like the, the flames look cooler. Um, and then when people fall in the dirt, it just looks 
it looks so real like the the you you care you you focus on different things you the camera angles become a lot more dynamic um the language of what's in the frame is a lot more apparent um it's just more interesting but yeah it was like watching it for the first time um yeah i just felt so much sharper um felt much more like in focus and all and all that and all that all that stuff like um i was not expecting to be that impressed with black and chrome i thought it was just gonna be like here is the black and white version of this like no the the, the small technical change the, the small like technical improvements that i saw in black and chrome were just like oh my gosh this might be objectively the best way to watch this movie but like so tough to say honestly it really is it really is the fact that they're both even is amazing like imagine you're one of the greatest movies of all time and you can watch it in two different ways right um i had done that before with other movies like i had a broken tv at my parents house and i watched killer joe in black and white and it was perfect it was unbelievable i I will be doing that again someday alex you're gonna have to talk me off a cliff Uh uh-oh this movie's freaking perfect uh i agree no there's (laughs) okay good let's jump off together forever and ever and ever (laughs) i have no problem with this movie i have no objections with it i have no like like if if there are flaws or problems, then I'm too dumb to see them, or I'm too biased to ever be able to see them. I just I think this movie's fantastic. I don't see like I I, I think maybe my one single problem with that bugs me every time I see the movie is when uh, Rictus is fighting um, Max and Max beats him with his own gas thing, and then he beats him unconscious on the uh, connective a part of the trailer that they're on um why don't you throw rictus off don't you know you don't know if you're gonna knock that guy out throw him off throw him off the thing to get it get rid of him any any opportunity of the biggest most powerful person that they have on their side there no you throw that guy off all you gotta do is knock him out take his legs throw him off done never have to deal with that guy again but he so- leaves him there to possibly wake up in the middle of a connected thing. Maybe he'll fall off, but most importantly, the shakiness of that ground is going to wake him up, dude. Something's going to hit him in the face, dust in the eye, like, in his mouth. Like, so many so, things could wake him up. Funny story about Rictus. So, the actor who plays him is Nathan Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, just a, it's a funny story about the guy. Uh, he was a former professional wrestler. Um, if you couldn't tell. Um... So basically he was in he was in the WWE um mostly because if speculation is to be believed he was very big and white which is the way Vince McMahon likes it um gross So he so at WrestleMania the biggest pay-per-view that WWE puts out every year WrestleMania 19 in Seattle All this tells me surf's up's going to hit the curiosity wheel go ahead um, <laughs> I don't think the curiosity wheel is that cruel, though. Anyway, um, 
Or is that ob- or is that objective to, as to what we say? Anyway, I just I just think I'm reading the writing on the walls. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so writing on the wall. So he was supposed to do a tag team match with. He was supposed to tag. He was supposed to tag with the Undertaker against the Big Show and um, Prince Albert, or as he was called, A Train, back Gross. in 2003. And so they were going, trying to go through the match with him, but apparently he was just so bad that they scrapped the idea and just had Undertaker do a handicap match. So the end was Big Show and A-Train beat up Nathan Jones before the show started. And so Undertaker wrestled most of that match in a handicap match, but then he came out, then Nathan just came out later to like be a posthumous tag partner and it was allowed so and then he did like the bare minimum of stuff so yeah that (laughs) it's real it's really funny (laughs) like undertaker really tried to like work with him and his very limited skill set but like it just didn't work out and (laughs) Um, so anyway, I just thought that was a funny, really funny story. I, I always think about that whenever I see Rictus in this movie. Um, but, um, movies of all time, I think he won. Yes, I think he won. Um, so a problem. Okay. So you had to put a gun to my head and say the one thing that bothered me the most about this movie are the night scenes when you watch it in color. They are clearly being shot in sun. The sun is reflecting off their faces. They are squinting their eyes. You just mm-hmm. colored it blue. Mm-hmm. Bothers me every time. I'm just so like, you... oh, yeah, I, go ahead. I want to be dumb and say, could you not just shoot at night? But I understand they probably couldn't have. And I know the concept of shooting day for night, but I don't think this is the best example of that. Go ahead. So In the color version. Here's the thing. Um, there are so many references in this franchise and in this film in particular to silent film that to shoot in sepia day for night blue color tone is seemingly very appropriate in my opinion and it's worked um i think very well um uh i like silent films and i like I like my one of the things songs and music videos that always takes me back to being a kid is Tonight Tonight by Smashing Pumpkins. It's when I was a kid. I heard it all the time on Mad T- um, on MTV. And then as I grew up, I started to learn about George Melies and shooting day for night and that they would always just tint their uh, film blue. And then that would be night. And of course, they'd shoot during the day. But blue told you you were watching night and. They speed up footage in this movie. It's basically the entire chase thing is a reference to the general with Buster Keaton, without a doubt. They reference Buster Keaton in the general in the last film. So I think he gets away with enough references to old silent films that I think that's something that I can be okay with, especially since I love silent films and understand the history. But for anybody else outside of that context, I can see how that can be very weird, yes. So... (laughs) 
like like I said, like it doesn't like it doesn't ruin my enjoyment of the movie. I'm just saying, like if I had a gun to my head and Fair. pick an issue that I have with this movie, it'd be that. But other than that, Fair. God, this movie's perfect. So, like, you could tell it's been storyboarded for for like more than t- like almost ten years because like it's like every shot has. Every like oh the control of the camera in this movie, even when it's like wild and shaky, I can still make things out. That's in that like that's perfection. That uh it's mwah. um and the like I didn't even get to stuff. I don't even where do you begin with the stunts in this movie? Um <laughs> um I yeah I considering what I've seen from the footage, um, they use like Cirque du Soleil people. They use like the best stunt drivers because they went through so many incidences of trying to build these cars and getting them prepared. They had a lot of time working on them and making sure that they were meant for jumps and meant for driving in these conditions. And um, it's it was very hectic on set, but at the same time, every single thing had to be like specifically safe and prepared and ready and so the fact that miller pulled off all of this practically is insane because it looks like chaos um yeah also the soundtrack oh my gosh the soundtrack yeah, I like, the, I like the other ones. I like the other ones better. I thought this was the worst one, right? Worst one in the <laughs> franchise. How dare uh, you insult the good name of Junkie XL? Um, oh. Like, leaps and bounds better. Like, Damn. I did not appreciate the soundtrack. I don't think I've appreciated the soundtrack enough before I watched the previous three. Now I'm like, I can't get enough of, like, the last few, like, days, I've had, um, so you know when they first drop the rocks on the canyons and then they do the whole motorcycle, the the scene with the motorcycle chase? Yeah, where where the the music starts starts with that kind of dubby, wah, 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 and it's like, my favorite piece. Yeah, like I can't get that out of my head now. I listened to that on the way on, to on the way to seeing Tenet and on the way back. I'm like, oh, that piece is so like, man, this is so good. Just ah, it is great. It only took him t- almost freaking thirty years. Um, so obviously, like. This, to me, this movie is so quotable in that there are so few quotes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think there's, it's very interesting, um, the things that stick with me with this film. Uh, the Witness Me is, of course, uh, mediocre. Mediocre! Uh, it's because, yeah, the simplicity of those singular words. But also... It doesn't, um, like, this movie does not waste a breath. Does uh, not I waste a breath. Max, my name is Max, sticks with me a lot. 
Um, if you can't fix what's broken, you'll go insane. Um, some kind of, I love that. I love the way she says redemption, but I also love the way that he says redemption. Sort of, sort of like he thought of the word redemption for the first time, just kind of like a dick. Like he's like, I don't know, some kind of redemption. <laughs> also, like, man, like this, the weight of this movie and its punch, like, really hit me these last few times. Um, mm. the last few times I've seen this. So, like, um, I was watching, I was watching some, I forgot to get to your videos on the, um, on the making of Mad Max, but I did watch Wisecrack's video on, like, the meaning behind Mad Max, and, like, it pointed out, like, a bunch of stuff to me, and I was like, wait, and then, and then I started to put it, to put it together myself, I was like, okay, what they introduced you in the Wisecrack video, it's like, okay. Max is like he's mad. Like he's like he's just boiled down to a single instinct that's survive. Like at all like at all costs. Like because he doesn't know anything else. And so of course he leaves the wives for dead. He tries to leave the wives for dead. Um and like and over the course of the movie, like he Pretty much killed Rosie Huntington Whiteley. Like he did that. Like he's the one who put the bullet who put the bullet in her leg, and then that was the thing that ha- had her slip off the war rig, and then put into some kind of unconscious state, and then had a baby ripped out of her. Like I have to that was hair. I've always wondered that myself. Like, did she slip on her blood, or did she slip on her normal foot? No, that was her, her, her damaged foot. It's certainly more interesting if it's more damaged, but yeah. Um, and it just like, and then the weight of the line where one of the one of the wives was like, you know, she used to call them anti seed, uh, plant plant one and watch something die, which is exactly what he did. Um. Oh, that's really good. Like the weight of this movie really like hit me these last few times that I've seen it. Um. Like there was like the whole point was like it really just dawned on me like. I get caught up really easily in the excitement of how things of the excitement of the moment sometimes sometimes um and then it dawned on me this, this most recent time I was like they were stuck in this fake paradise getting like sexually abused by this thing of a man mhm I was just like, and that's what they're running from. Like, like that just slapped me across the face. I'm like, whoa. Like, yeah, dude. Miller went, like, I am the dumbest human being on the face of the planet. Um, but, like, I was like, it just, like, whacked me, like, it just whacked me across the face. I'm like, 
Okay, this movie. This movie. Also, like. This movie's really bleak. <laughs> like. Yeah. But it doesn't, like. That's you know why I'm I like saying? the like, black chrome edition because, like, all the sunlight, like, washes out the image and you're just like, oh, it all feels just blinding. Yeah, like, quickly about sunlight. Man, George Miller knows how to shoot a horizon. Oh, yeah. Like, my gosh, he just knows. When he sees, when he, man, mm, anyway. Because, um, like, there was the shot of the war rig against the sun. And then there was the Furiosa shot, which I will talk about. Um, I'm just getting to it. But, like, and then the whole thing about that scene where he's, like, okay, so, like, every shot is, like, a painting. So, like, after that line where he says, if you can't fix what's broken, you'll go insane. Or, like, hope I hope is a mistake. Then it goes to um, the shot where he's standing directly in the middle of the frame He's got the motorcycle to his left and the war rig to war rig to his right. And he's watching the, the bikes in the distance go across the salt. And he's and he's just like he's just standing there. And I like it was a very like contemplative shot. It's like it's like he's it's like he's just like he's challenging himself. It's like it's like I can like this whole journey has just been like trying to this is finding his humanity again. And that's what, and, um, and so now he can fix them. Like he could somehow like, like you said, like come across some sort of redemption. Like he was the reason. And Harriet fell off the war rig because she slipped on a bloody foot that was caused by a gunshot that he fired. Um, and then there's Nux, Nicholas Holt, who is, ah, oh my gosh, everybody killed, everyone, everyone kills it in this movie. Like, freaking crushed it, even if they didn't know what they were doing. They crushed it. Um, even, even I will go as far as this, you're gonna, you're gonna talk, you're gonna talk me up, you're gonna talk me up, you're gonna be like, you need to see more stuff. But I was like, even Zoe Kravitz, I have not seen her in good movies. Okay. I've not seen her. In, I have not seen her in her best movie. And I was like, even she killed it. Like everyone so I, gave their best. I think. I think all the, all the women are very good. They're all actually, I believe all the women are daughters um, or connected to, or related to famous people. Um, Zoe Kravitz would go on to be in the High Fidelity show that just got canceled on Hulu, which sucks. But no, she's been in other stuff too. She was, um, she's going to be Catwoman. She's going to be Catwoman. She was in Divergent. Um, I know. So I was like, oh, God. Um, <laughs> that's not talking I was about never it. In, I was, yeah, I was never into the YA revolution books. Let's not go into that. Um, well, no movies for that matter. Not yet. Um, but the Hunger Games may change that if we go back. No, it was Lenny was in that movie, wasn't he? Lenny. Oh God, who played this? The never mind. Um, anyway, but like, um, 
But it's like the story of like the story of redemption. Like these, like even the wives, like they have been subjugated, they have been abused by this monstrosity, and like at this green place that they were promised is gone, like wiped out, and. Now they now they have this hope of we could take the thing that has been imprisoning us and like make it a new oasis. It's like chicken shit in a chicken salad. Like and then of course there's like I said there was ducks. Uh, like, I was, like I was saying there's ducks who believed in this monster, who, like, believed this monstrosity was actually a god. Um, because he's dying and has nothing, like, nothing left. Like, that's all he has. Um, and, like, all he has is this hope that he's gonna die a heroic death. Because, pretty much, for War Boys, the end is coming anyway. It's whether you die working, it's whether you die hooked up to a blood bag, or it's out on the Fury Road, as Ducks put it. <clears throat> uh, roll credits. Um, and patriarchy, yeah. And he gets humiliated in front of this idol of his, and he's like, "I messed up." And then it's uh, Capable, played by uh, Riley. How do you say her last name? Riley Co. Riley Co. Bradley Coe, I believe, yeah. Bradley Coe. Um, who's like, maybe that wasn't what you were supposed to do in the first place. Maybe it was your manifest destiny not to do that. Um, God, this movie's quotable. Um, so, and then, of course, Furiosa. Ripped from her home. Had to be, has to be subjugated, turned into an Imperator. Imperator. Um, to this monstro to this monstrosity of a board, Joe, and um, like she, she like she she sees an opportunity to go back home and to free and to free some people and bring them along the way. And ultimately, she, like, sees Max. Like, she has like she has some kind of sympathy for Max. Because she can see that he's, like, not in his right mind. Um, and, like, brings him along for the ride, I guess. Because either, because, like, he's useful and maybe there's something there. Because at that point, she still has that like hope for like her home like that's still there um and then it turns out her home is gone wiped out it's only reduced to like a handful of women well that's also what happens in the other movies like um in the pilot or in road warrior when those people go on to make civilizations they take the survivors with them yeah um uh, in both cases in both pilot cases they take the stragglers with them. And then we get that maybe the most beautiful shot 
like it's just Furiosa like yelling at the sky again. Oh my god, it's just such a great shot. It's the best shot of the movie for sure. And there's like obviously there are I think there are two great shots of the movie that are about the two things that the film is saying. And there's the story of Furiosa and what she's fighting for again and against, and that's her in the desert screaming. That's her best shot. And then the best shot that represents the action that went into making this film that makes it so beautiful as an action film. And that's him on the pole going over as the, the truck explodes. Freaking behind. amazing in a movie theater. Thank amazing. God it came back. It's still amazing on my TV. I love that. It's yes. My, favorite, my favorite, personal favorite shot of the film. And then her shot is just as powerful. I never ignore that. It's just the thing that gets me excited about this film is it's, it is its application of the language of cinema to both action and the elevation of it to even make those kind of thematics and her shot matter in the first place. But on top of all that, um, I, 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 it's just so beautiful on both ends. It's, it, it's just, it comes together so simply. I, I don't know how he thought of it. Um, but where I'm getting at with all this, it's like, this is about... Okay, people, when people first came out, I was like, they were, uh, it was like, oh, this is just feminist propaganda. This? It was like, I could see where you're coming from. Okay. Not bad. It's about women being subjugated and ultimately <clears throat> turning their hell into heaven. But, mostly because, like, it's, about the movie's kind of about there's a part of the movie that's about entitlement, which is about where a more which is a more Joe like splendid. That's my child, my property. Um, but like if the movie is more, to me is more about redemption and finding your humanity again, and like that is what draws me to this movie more and more and more every time I see it. It's just like, this world is like non-existent. It's, it's post-apocalypse. Like, the world is done. And there is still like... And there's still life happening. And there's yeah. still... Like, there's still good out there. Like, happening. And, like, it's just, like, like, I don't think it has any, like, like, I think, there's I think an for element. Me, what I... yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, well, if you still got a point, go ahead. No, I mean, like, to me, like, maybe this is the hell you have to talk me off of. But, like, there's an, there's an element of what people say is, like, feminist propaganda but that's only because the, that's only because like the antagonist is entitled and the the prop to that entitlement is breeders uh i would say here's the problem. other than that this i don't think thing. it's strictly that i here's how you have to look at that the phrase is inherently um wrong it, it puts us, it, it is an inception phrase. It puts an idea in your head already of what you're going to answer is, which is 
feminist propaganda is not bad because a feminist is not bad. Feminist is like something you should strive to fight for. Feminism right. is that is important. Propaganda is bad. So it's basically saying this thing that you that most people don't understand what it is necessarily because you're not either a woman or you've never really studied feminism and you're not part of a feminist group. You just don't it's not part of your day-to-day life. And so you don't understand feminism the way that feminists would hope you would. And then propaganda immediately puts that that it's something bad in your head. So no. It's a, it has feminist ideas in it for sure because the patriarchy, literally, they ask the question, who killed the world to a man and then kick him out? Like, that's the point. Like, Immortan Joe has applied all this sort of ideas about how men rule the world and how, like, all of this is there. But, like, no, these are feminist ideas for sure. In fact, he took a, fe- a feminist worked on this film. He asked a prominent feminist writer and author to help work on this script. It is literally a, like a film about feminism. It's not propaganda because feminism is not propaganda. They're ideas that everyone should look into and understand. So, yeah, it's absolutely written with feminist ideas in mind. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm glad I got that cleared up. Because, like, I was like, yeah. dude, like, because I, I, I was confused. I was like, okay, there's feminism in there, but propaganda? It's, an inher- it's a word that's inherently mentioned. For you to not like feminism, right? It's a trap. It's a trap. Um, a word trap. So, like, yeah, like this movie is just like, like when he, it, like, I feel like that moment where he's just like, listen, he's like, look, it'll be a hard day, but 160 day, 160 days. 160 days in that direction. There's nothing but salt, which also hit me because they could be anywhere along the shore, along any any shoreline. Like they go 160 days in in the salt, they could end up in India or like like north into into a into like Asia or south into Antarctica, which would have been really funny. To see, um, or they could have gone east and maybe hit like Chile. Yeah. I was like, "That's insane!" Like, it, like that could have did that could have led anywhere. Yeah, like that really that also hit me. I was like, they could have gone anywhere, <laughs> and like it's like they go in the direction of Antarctica, and there's just one ice cube left. It's like a small ice cube you put in your drink. Like that's it. He's like, I was thirsty. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, it's like, and it's so like, the, like I said, the movie doesn't waste a breath. If it, if nothing needs to be said, nothing is said. It just, it just goes, and the, the imagery speaks for itself. That's what. I, that's also another thing I really appreciate about this movie. Um. My God, the imagery is so like, oh man! I will carry this movie for the rest of my life, um, as anyone really should. Um, and like, just and then that and then that like, oh God, oh man! I could go in so many directions. Actually, you got to take over. You got to talk about something you liked about this movie that you took away, because I am going off on a tangent. <laughs> 
Um, I'm a big fan of the crashes, and I'm a big fan of the kabooms, and I'm a big fan of the explosions, and I'm a big fan of one car meets another car, and metal goes everywhere. No, um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this movie. Um, I remember when it first came out, and it just kind of was, it was everything I wanted it to be. Uh, I think my favorite point that I like to make about this film is that, uh, it, I, I remember I was talking to somebody about the film, and they they asked me why do the girls wear what they wear? Why do they have to wear such revealing clothes? And I didn't say this entirely at the time. I really wish I had. I've totally formed the thought better in my head since, like in every argument that I make. But uh, I, I I over time I'm like they all the girls sent from the time that they break the <clears throat> the chastity thing off of them and meet max they all start to form their own outfits they all start to wear different things one girl's wearing goggles another one's kind of like got a black thing around the another girl's carrying the seat with her like boots like all of them start to wear different things and have identities formed through the things they are wearing especially when they meet the ladies at the end um so yeah, that's the whole point. The point is, is that they were forced to wear those things, this, these revealing clothing. And then after a while, by the time they meet the women, they're like, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, some some of them like to wear what they wear and are okay. Also, with why not? I'll make I'll make an argument. That's all they've ever worn. Maybe that's it's, all they know what to wear. That's yeah, their entire wardrobe. But at the end of the day, the like even if that is all they know and they're okay with even for that reason, it's never been their decision. But by the end of right. the film, they completely decide what they want to wear at that point. They go back to the Citadel wearing what they chose to wear throughout that entire thing. Their identities are in their clothing for sure and in their costumes. And then I was like, I just the one thing that I did point out was that stuff like that is all throughout the movie. And my favorite is Nux, like. Nux is the 13-year-old boys who go to this movie and expect to see explosions and people dying and, like, they're there for the death and the, like, action of it. But they walk out going, oh, yeah, but women aren't objects. Because that's exactly what Nux goes through. Nux goes there and he's like, I'm here to die a death and, like, we're here to see the deaths and mediocre death and, you know, that one was really cool. Like, you know, I'm witnessing, watch my death because they're there to witness people die. That's the whole point. But then by the end of the film, he's legitimately sacrificing himself for the belief that these women deserve a chance to be more than objects. Someone's fighting for, he's fighting for something bigger than himself. He understands Joe and the patriarchy are just like a bunch of bullcrap. That there, there is no immortal idea of men above women. There is no immortal idea of like that there's a perfect human being that can be made and that you can enslave women to get it. And that's the, all of that washes away, and he decides to let them go above himself uh, because of it. And then all of a sudden, Thuchio boys are like, yeah, those explosions were really cool, but guess what? Yeah, women aren't objects. Huh, it's pretty interesting, you know? Like, that stuff is there. And even if you don't see it then, the movie is cool enough that as you grow up as an adult and continue to watch it, you can't miss them as you get older. And that's what I want out of all my action films. That's the power of action films. That's the power of cinema in general, the language. Like these characters are are like described through the actions and the decisions they make. So it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's a perfect movie in my opinion. I don't, even if there are things in there that are like, like, 
people don't like the zooms or people don't like the day for night. I, I, none of that matters to me. It elevates something that I care about so much about cinema, which is action films taught me the language of cinema, which I now learned you can use in so many different forms, whether it's an art film, a horror film, a comedy, this, and they use it in action. Something think is some, something people think is just silly and superhero stuff. And they used it to think about things and talk about things that, other films don't really like take time and are guilty of like establishing like they, yeah, they, they, they're, it, it's smarter than most action films ever even take the time to try to be. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that this has been sitting on the shoulders of a few people for over 20 years. Um, so yeah, it's just, oh man, just, Okay. Favorite wacky character in this film. Um, in this film, uh, I mean, let's see. The fat guy is pretty funny when he tries to get back in his car. The everyone's gonna say Doof Warrior, and like, sure, Doof Warrior is great. Um, I don't consider Nux a wacky character because he's like actually grows as a person. I do think his partner is pretty silly. Um, I like the guy who is giving Max the bloodbath, but I think my favorite has got to be the bullet farmer guy. Yes, yes. He's driving yes. up and he gets blinded, and he's just like his eye, like because I really when he um, when the guy's like hold the lamp up to my face closer, and he's like I'm holding it right up to your eyes, and then he gives that yell. I really feel for that yell, man. Like, I don't want to lose my eyes. Nobody would want to lose their eyes. I mean, fuck that guy, and I'm glad he's dead. But, you know, <laughs> that moment really made me, like, care for him. It's such a – it made me humanize – It may, he humanized this character in this one moment, and I really enjoyed that. I also think it's really funny that he's just, like, uh, pulling bullets out of his teeth. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, yes. He's, he's so goofy. Um, just one angry so shot. Furiosa. Yeah, and that's... He's probably my favorite. I am the Scales of Justice, conductor of the Choir of Death! <laughs> Ow, my eyes! Gooby, gooby! Sing, Please. brothers! Sing! Sing! Oh my gosh, it's so good. It is so good. Oh, man. This... <laughs> Not only is does it have all these themes of redemption and like of of all these all these themes and ideas, it, all these uh, complex themes and ideas, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, more it's more, a fun uh, ride. It's entertaining, super entertaining. It's quotable. Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Yeah. Um. The best line of the movie. Just again, like the stunts are beyond my measure of comprehension, and like, man, yeah, I've got a A plus. <laughs> I don't think you've given anything lower. <laughs> like, I mean, we're not we're not really saying anything that hasn't already been said. Um, I do think we've both got some pretty interesting points to this, but I think that before we get to ra like rating the movie on its whole, yeah, we both go A plus. But 
in terms of the series, um, uh, I guess what are your what are your favorite shots of uh, shots or moments from the whole series, not just Fury Road? Um, we're leaving this world behind now. I liked the pose in the end. Uh, there, the end of the first Mad Max, where he finally poses with the sawed-off shotgun. Yeah. He's looking. He's looking. He's looking over his shoulder. Um, Hmm. Trying to think of one from Road Warrior. Dang. Oh man, from Road Warrior. Ah, go back to Road Warrior. My mind is still stuck on Fury Road. Um. If I had to pick one, I guess it's the. I guess it's the end one. Like the end, like the begin, like the the end, the beginning slash end shot of him in the middle of the road, or the shot where the guy with the mohawk pops up from pops up from in front of the the in front from the front of the hood uh, of the tanker. That was gonna be mine, actually. Um, that is the peak of that entire just uh, chase. It's amazing. I think for Mad Max, I'd probably say um, the first one. Why you uh, why you think about Thunderdome? I would probably go with um, I think the I think we the running over the wife. It always sticks with. The, the, oh the, yeah, there's that. The ball in the baby shoe. The ball in the baby shoe. Like I know that like the image of him with the gun is great. It, it re- and him in the car is awesome. It really is. But the the baby shoe and the ball, I'm like, that's all you yep. need. It's really nice. No blood, ball in the shoe. Also, the when he's uh, telling Fifth that he's done in that staircase, and like, okay, yeah, that's some good that's solid imagery. Uh, imagery. Um, yeah. You beyond, know I changed my favorite shot to the boss with the, a scarf and no shirt. Wait, in which movie? In the first movie, when he meets his boss to tell him, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah," drinking coffee with a black scarf and leather pants, I'm like, "Come on, man." That's just a normal Thursday for me. Um, I know I'm through the window. I can see it. And it is now Thursday. Um, it's the other thing I pointed on your other blinds. <laughs> um. Beyond Thunderdome. Oh gosh, I know exactly what I'm going to say for Thunderdome. Thunderdome was gorgeous. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm trying to. Maybe it was like the scene where he's going into Jebediah the pilot's uh, hole, and he's like, "Yeah, you're going to help me out." And he's <laughs> surrounded by the lost by the, by the lost boys, which aren't the lost boys. Um. I liked um, when, or the one where the guy's hanging off the hanging off the hanging off the front of the train. Oh God! And it's just a... like the, he's just going from left to right. Um, was hitting those railings. Yeah. Um, for me, it's when she's dragging him in the desert, and then she comes across that kid, and then she he runs towards her, and you see the clouds in the desert. It's just so beautiful. Mm. Uh, yeah, Fury Road. I gotta say the the. It's gotta the, be the Furiosa shot, right? Uh, for you, mine is the 
minus the explosion and that he goes over on the pole. I, I love the Furios is more impactful. I agree, but I love that shot of the pole. It's everything I want. <laughs> right. Like also that explosion was pretty spectacular. Um, oh, show. So there you go, everyone. That was Mad Max. What a trip. What a Into trip. the wasteland. Wait, what's your rating of the movies? Uh, oh, yeah, right. Oh, shoot. Fury it was Road, Road B plus for... Um, I meant the um, First Mad Max. It was B plus for the first Mad Max. Second Mad Max was A... Second Mad Max was A. And then Beyond Thunderdome was like C plus. Oh, damn, that's right. And then this is an A plus. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> it's Fury Road, Road Warrior, Thunderdome, Mad Max. Yep, Fury Road, Road Warrior, Mad Max, then Beyond Thunderdome. Oh, wow. Jeez, wow. The Thunderdome was just a Lost Boys movie. Yeah, but it still looked better and was more silly and entertaining than Mad Max was. The Mad Max is a two-hour, 90-minute movie. I wish I'd appreciated it more, and I do, but I'm not going to return to it as much as I would Thunderdome for the fun of it. At least I knew what I was getting with the first Mad, with the first Mad Max. Like that, I did not expect a Lost Boys movie. Like that, it was just uh, like, this doesn't quite work here. Like, come on. Eh. Like, I love the fact that he leaves half of them behind and then grabs like the only thing that was missing from Beyond Thunderdome were Muppets. Oh, <laughs> that would have made the whole thing just icing on the cake. Man, if there was like um, <clears throat> Sweetums from the Muppets walking around in the background of Barter Town, it would work. Or like Falcor from Their Ending Story. Oh man, what is Falcor doing out there, man? Barter Town. <laughs> That's what happened to uh that's what happened to the king that's what happened to the uh the whole the the whole universe. It just became a desert wasteland and a nuke just happened to go off. Where did they get the nuke? I don't know. Dogs mutated into flying dragon. So there you go everybody, Mad Max. Later, Mad Max. Hopefully, Furiosa will come out soon. Did you hear what George Miller had to say about that, too? What did he say recently? Um, he kind of sowed the seeds of maybe she's a, maybe she's a nice leader. Maybe she's a um, tyrant. Yeah, why not? Like, I mean, it's possible. Look at Tina Turner. We don't See, need I got, hero. I got big, I got big uh, Furiosa. Um, uh, vibes from Tina Turner in there. Like the I did not. Like, I did not. <laughs> I mean, not necessarily in character, but like anytime you like, she thought she was like a nobody, and then she became a person of power. She cared about society. She cared about people, but still, the town um, and the power corrupted her to the point that she tried to, you know, even use backdoor politics. So, like Furiosa, at some point could get corrupted by that power, could could believe in something so strongly in this kind of anti-men world uh, or being careful of being more cautious of people 
um, that uh, or protecting her world so much that she doesn't allow um, for other people to come in or, or the connection of other societies. Like just like Planet of the Apes, like Caesar believed in something so strongly that it eventually became the death of him and his society. Yeah. For me, it's for me. I think it's. Mm, I want to. I'm open to the idea of her being a tyrant, but I'm more on the side of I think the events of what happened in Fury Road. I think really set her on a path of being an, at least an okay leader. I mean, the it isn't that they wouldn't be okay. It's that the person would be capable of good and bad. It's that the person would be able to do good things, but that maybe down the road, their protection of what they believed in so much means that in the later part of their career, they do have some tyrant behavior. They do, like, instead of protecting people, they, like, give away their privacy. And all of a sudden, people are, like, forced to be in their, like, caves at a certain point. Or they, she has to start protecting water. Like, who knows? Like, what, it, it, it's something that happens a lot in power. And that's what George Miller is saying, that like, it, just because you believe in something you try doesn't mean that you're not human and you can't fail like Luke Skywalker. Um, so, yeah, um, that's it, everybody. Now it's time to spin a wheel. In a wheel, spin the curiosity So it is wheel. a curiosity week because we ended on a good movie, so now... Um, the best movie. Um, so now we must uh, spin the curiosity wheel in order to get the cycle started on the right foot. Yep, so you do. Now I will hear, did Zach send any suggestions? He did not. I kind of got him mad when we were talking. We, uh, I brought up this article. Oh, good job, man. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> where I told him that one of my favorite film critics, film crit Hulk, had made years ago, making the argument that while there is artistry in video games, video games are not yet art. And uh, he kept making those interesting arguments, Zach was, and I was like, well, I told it to you because I thought you would have fun reading it, being so passionate about it in your head, but like, I'm not making the argument. I'm just telling you what he says. And I think that kind of got him mad because he works in the video game industry. and. Um, I sent a I sent a version of it to it. Apparently, Film Crit Hulk went on to because I couldn't find the article. Went on a podcast that Camille Namjani and his wife do called The Indoor Kids, and he makes his argument there, which is a lot more fun and a lot more silly. So I sent that to him, but I haven't seen him respond to it yet. Because then that I was like, I'm sorry if I pissed you off, and uh, I apologize. And do you have a curiosity movie? And I've yet to see anything from him yet. So he must have gone straight to sleep. So here's what we are going to do. Here's what we'll here's what we'll do, because mm -hmm. we've already prompted it. How about at, for default, if you agree to this, by default we're gonna put Interstellar as a choice for our runner-up, and then we both pick something else. Well, uh, you mean like it takes Zach's place? Yeah, it takes Interstellar takes Zach's place. If you want, sure. Um, I'm only saying it that way because I have not really been anxious to return back to Interstellar, but maybe I need to. I love Matthew McConaughey. 
Maybe I need to rewatch it again. It's certainly beautiful. It's certainly gorgeous. Um, and I think you will like it. Because I haven't seen it. I was going to make that mine, but since Zach decided to not okay. grace us with a pick, then I'm fully willing to give that up to fill that void. And that I'll pick something, a, else, pick something else. Gives us more fun to play in, in the back catalog with you. So, like, what's the back right. Let me Hang on, let me uh, look here. Yeah, dude. Okay, Curiosity Pearl. Backlog. Jupiter Ascending. Okay. Lost in Space, 2001. The Gold okay. Rush. Yeah. Ground, Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Close Encounters with the Third Kind. There is a Spielberg movie on every wheel, for God's sake. Actually, no, not the bad wheel. Um, not yet. Um, Purple Rain. Uh-huh. Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. True Romance. That's right. Battle Royale. Ooh. The Medallion. Okay. Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Right. Hostage. Oh, yeah. Smoke and Aces. Oh, wow, yeah. Wolf Children. Mm-hmm. Beetlejuice. Oh, my gosh, that's right. Turbo Kid. That's right. Speed Racer. Okay. Waterworld. Why is Waterworld... Oh, never mind. Um, the Core. Oh, my God, yes. Romeo and Juliet. The Did we decide that, that was the Leo version? Yes, yes. Baz okay. yeah. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm torn now. The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. And Gone with the Wind. Oh my god, wow, yeah. Okay, any of those strike your fancy? I am torn between Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, and what was the other one? And um, Valerian. All right. um, I'm torn. Valerian, uh, let's see, I don't. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies has a lot, a really good cast, but <coughs> whether it's actually a good movie or not, I have no idea. Uh, I've seen Valerian more times than I probably should have, but <laughs> uh, it's beautiful and it has interesting things to talk about and discuss for sure. Um, whether it amounts to anything, I don't know, but I do think it's one of the most beautiful movies of the last few years. Gorgeous. Oh man, uh, dude, I think you should pick first because I'm torn oh, and I'm... distracted because I'm making the actual wheel right now. Okay, so there is a couple of things that I'm thinking about. One is not on this list, but it is an, a Michael Keaton movie from the '90s about okay. a man. Okay about a man who that's not from the 90s that's from 89 get with it get jazz jazz close enough uh, I, I'm thinking of no I'm thinking of a comedy it's about a man who um, has a family a, a wife and a kid but he works a lot man he just works so much if only you know he had a clone the of weatherman himself. okay oh Whoa. no 
No, wait a minute. Are you... City, multiplicity. Multiplicity. Oh. Um, okay. It's a Michael Keaton comedy, and you've never seen a Michael Keaton comedy. It's also a hair Never. Basically, I mean, if you count Batman, which I don't think we do. Like, no, Batman is not a Michael Keaton comedy. No, like, Michael Keaton has legit done comedies. He, that's how he got started in the 80s, like with Mr. Mom and stuff like that. Um, that's why people are like, you, Mr. Mom is going to be Bruce Wayne? What are you talking about? And then he was. And then it was like, Bruce fucking Wayne. That was our generation's Robert Pattinson. <laughs> uh, Heath Ledger for Joker, I would say. What People were like, the guy from Night's Tale is going to be the Joker. Whatever. All right, cool. The guy yeah. from The Patriot? Ten things I hate about you is going to be in that. That's it. That's my choice. Ten things I hate about you. Ten things I hate about you. Okay. That leads you down that path. Um, it's I've seen it all. I've seen it. Um, I, I used to see it a lot in the nineties, but like, yeah, ten things I hate about you. You know, I was watching Jordan Joseph Gordon, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Um, I was watching. His, he did a video for a Variety YouTube channel. And he was talking about how much he really didn't want to be on that set, but was glad he was on that set anyway. Um, what did he? What do you mean? Though, so he did this video for Variety that goes through his career, like one of those videos, right? And yeah. he was like, "I just want to do these super, like, serious, dramatic stuff, and now I'm doing this high school comedy." About... <laughs> yeah, after spending um, years on Third Rock from the Sun, yeah, he wanted to do intense stuff, and yeah, he would with like. I would like candy and stuff like that. Oh, actually, that was Heath Ledger. Eventually, he would make like brick and stuff. On one hand, on one hand, I have the most expensive European film ever made that was entirely crowdfunded. And it was made by Luc Besson, the guy who made Fifth Element. Yeah, in 2017, I'm... I think. Yeah, I think so, 17. On the other hand, I have the idea of adding zombies to a very famous dramatic romance novel. Yeah, it seems like it almost seems like the idea would sell itself, doesn't it? Yeah. But I feel like it's going to be more faithful to the novel than it is to the more faithful to the original novel than it is going to be towards whatever like having to take serious and the, and the idea of trying to get an audience to take the story seriously when you add zombies to it. I have no idea. Slip a coin. Um, well, I have not I'm, done that in a while. I'm also thinking about Beetlejuice too. No, it's script. Beetlejuice. You're gonna do Beetlejuice instead? Yeah. No. Yeah. I think that's oh, more. I, I would love to hear your response on that more. We'll get to 10 Things I Hate About You on a day when we really deserve it. It'll be a nice, fun time. But, like, Beetlejuice, I think, is exactly what you need. Weird as Heads? I, I've seen Beetlejuice before. I was at school. Um, oh, so if it's not news to you, then. Um, yeah, like, during art class. Like, it's been a very long time since I've seen it, though. Uh, it is crazy bonkers, but I want stuff you've never seen before. And you're still out of the Rongong game a little bit. Heath Ledger as a rom-com lead is something you need. 10 Things I Hate About You. Okay, so you want 10 Things I Hate About You. Okay. Yeah, you haven't seen it. Let's retype that. I 
So Joseph yeah, Gordon-Levitt in something other than Treasure Planet. Yeah, dude. Krumholtz. Julia Stiles. Man, it's been a grip. All right. Heads, Valerian. Tails, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. Yeah. Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. Tails. Dang it. All right. Well, they'll, they'll have a chance to win. Pride. <laughs> the idea is still cracking me up. Um, it just sounds insane, but it's probably not going to be that insane. But I just want to know. I have no idea. It could be okay. Okay, so we got Interstellar in place of Zach's non 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 existent pick. Um, stop pouting. Um, stop Pride pout. Prejudice. No, I mean Zach. Stop pouting. Oh, gotcha. Your precious Modern Warfare has cheaters galore. I don't want to hear it. Um. Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, and 10 Things I Hate About You. Here we go. To replace our eventual pick of the Curiosity Wheel. It is Interstellar. Oh. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty disappointed, too. <laughs> you, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies is out of the mix. Um, so what do you know about Interstellar? Um, black hole and uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson doesn't like it. Um, Matthew McConaughey, Power of Love. The bookshelf is the black hole. That's all I know. Okay, yeah, you got it. Add that. Add uh, ten things I hate about you to the backlog so we don't forget. All right, on to the actual wheel. We have up for contention. Titan AE. Wanted. Heart and Souls. Yeah. Spaceballs. Yeah. Maybe that's what John Boyega needs to see. We just need they need he needs to see a movie that makes fun of Star Wars. Um Ravenous. Ravenous. Ravenous, sorry. Uh Nacho Libre. Yeah. The Dark Crystal. Okay. The theatrical cut of Apocalypse Now. Yes. Booksmart. Oh, that, yeah. That's, that uh, would be timely. That would be relevant. Yeah. Um, Princess Mononoke. Uh-huh. Bridge on the River Kwai. Yes. Alex's pick, Surf's Up. Oh, my gosh, yes. I can't wait to watch that and the sequel. Gojira, the not racist version. Gojira. Gojira. Godzilla, everyone. It's Japanese for Godzilla. Um, I don't know. I don't know what this is going to land on. That's it? That's the list? That's the list. Oh my god, I'm excited. This is a good list. <laughs> I have Should a we call it the... The Good Wheel Part Two. Um, uh, it has a good. It has a bunch of movies. Like this is. I'm curious. Some of these are interesting. Um, I've not seen Titan A start to finish for a long time. I've never seen it. Wanted same. Nacho Libre same. Spaceballs I've never seen. Surfs up I haven't seen it in a while. Never seen Princess Mononoke. Heard never. good things about Booksmart, but never seen it. Never. Okay, you ready? I'm going to spin uh, it. 
All right. Come I ahead. got butterflies. This is a good feeling. I, I'm smiling ear to ear. Okay. I feel three. Good about- three. Two. One. Spin. Ooh, I'm not looking. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. How close is that? That's like a pixel. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Wow. Do you want to spin again? Do you not trust it? No, I... No. Hold on. Like, hold on. What is, is, there the a way to, is there a way to clear it? I'm trying to... Like, it's really... It's really close, but... I don't want to say what it is unless I know for sure. But the computer... Like it's real, it's really close, but it you could just barely make you could barely make out that it is in fact one or the other. <sighs> okay. No backing down this time, ladies and gentlemen. The movie that we will be reviewing next week, one hundred and ten percent, we are doing this next week. The theatrical cut of Apocalypse Now. Wow. Okay. All right. Wow. Oh shit. It was so close to Booksmart. Like, it was so close oh to Booksmart. You know like, it's by a pixel. Do you know how perfect that would have been? We were talking about her. Oh, man. Oh. It was definitely Apocalypse we Now. Olivia Wilde. Wow, that is crazy. Wow. Um, it is, yeah, so it's, apoc- it's Apocalypse Now. So I could take that off the wheel for Interstellar. Um... Okay, well, I watched Apocalypse Now not too long ago. It's very fresh in my mind. I, I am going to watch it again. Um, I think since Chris, you're in a be- are you in a better headspace these days? Do you think? Yes. Okay. Um, everyone goes through that. Everyone has been going through that period of ups and downs. So I totally hear you. Um, but uh, I this is a very good fall movie. Um, it's I'm going to double check and make sure how long it is to prepare you for this. The theatrical cut. Yes. Um, I'm pretty sure it's around like three hours. Um, just a, just itself alone. This is one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Um, it's really weird. It is. It's, pretty, it's got a crazy, crazy history behind it. So much so that there is a documentary made about it um, by the wife of the director. Um so yeah, this is this is something else. Uh, what what do you think you're getting into? Uh, um, an even more gruesome version of the first Mad Max, where you just watch a man lose his mind. Um, <laughs> not just one man, several men. Uh, okay, so it's two and a half hours long. Uh, 19- okay, if I were to give you, here's the thing. Is it more or less brutal than Full Metal Jacket? You've seen Full Metal Jacket? Yes. Really long time ago. How long ago? How old are you? I can't imagine it was less than 15 years ago. Okay. <laughs> um, I barely remember it. That is barely. Nuts. Okay, so Full Metal Jacket is half about training uh, between two guys and the rest of their core 
and one of them going slowly insane until he just, you know, murders his teacher and then kills himself. And then the second half is his other friend going off into Vietnam and having to live in that world and make tough choices leading to a shootout that happens and the results of that and the consequences. So basically, the first half is way more messed up than the last half. And there's a way that it's shot that's very specific. Um, that Kubrick has a very primal way of that, how that movie is shot. Um, it's very cold and calculated, but still gets you on an emotional level. That's why The Shining works so well. But we'll get to that when we get to that. No, this movie is... Uh, there's an actual animal slaughter. Good characters go, you know down the train psychologically there's some beautiful imagery there's some gross imagery there's like it's it's something else it's one of the most interesting artistic looking war movies that's ever existed um a lot of vietnam people said yeah that's kind of how vietnam felt and was like um but it's uh it's a story about a guy who has been in Vietnam for so long that he's just kind of like on the brink of insanity himself. He is sent on a mission to go assassinate basically a um, Marlon Brando, a colonel that has basically gone tribal and has gone so crazy that he's like, thinks he's a God. So he gets on this little boat and he starts going up the river to, to the heart of the jungle of Vietnam to the point where they're like, I think he, they go past the war in general into like Cambodia and it just gets crazier and crazier. And uh, then they meet him and you're in the heart of darkness at that point. Huh. I believe okay. it's on HBO Max. Cool. Don't have it. Um, saving it for the Snyder Cut. Oh yeah, as everyone as everyone should. Oh, it's on Hulu. Not everyone should. Not everyone should. Um, There's so much good stuff on HBO Max. There's way more reasons to get it than just the Snyder Cut. Personal. But I do have watching it again. Watching Apocalypse Now again. Um, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um. The last few times that I have watched it has been the Redux version where they added extra scenes to it. And yeah, that makes it feel longer. And I just kind of like lost the reasons why I enjoyed it. But watching it this time, it went by a lot faster and the pace is really interesting. And it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. The spectacle of it, the, the beauty of it, the performances themselves, and just, it's bananas. It's bananas. Brains. And it's your first real step into Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, so... So... It's only giving me the final cut. Uh, on Hulu? Let's see. So the oh, one wait, on... wait, wait, wait. One on HBO is... There's one... On okay, there's another one that's two and a half hours long. That's what we want. We want two twenty eight. All right. Okay. So they have two different versions on Hulu. Um, no, on Hulu I think is only the on YouTube. There's multiple versions. Uh, there's the yeah. Apocalypse Now Final Cut, which is three hours. No. 
that's the thing that would that worried me the most. Like, how long is this thing? Because if it's just a long, like brutal thing, that was what got me up last time. Like, if it's just a long brutal thing, I'm not doing this right now. I think I can do. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm strong enough to do it now. Just like back then, it was like I can't take three hours of just death and decay and depression. Um, that is here. There is death. There is decay, and there is depression. But um, it's. I think you're ready for it now, honestly. Um, and what you think uh, half an hour makes the difference, right? Yeah. Um, I I would say by the time they reach the colonel, that would be that last half an hour. I could be wrong, and it could be longer, but um, that's just about uh, just about there. By the time you get there, you feel drained, but you're also in it. That's the thing. Like by the end, you feel as drained as they are, but you're like, you got to keep going. Um, and then to your your thoughts on the ending will be very interesting. Um, this is the kind of movie that uh, I would suggest watching within the middle of the week, and then just go to YouTube um, because they're they're thoughts that I have for sure. But um, there's a lot of people who have said better things about it. Plus, the history behind this is so crazy and insane. I might not get it all. I'm gonna try and find. Heart of Darkness and watch that. Um, but if you want to wait until the end, it's certainly a Bananas Brains movie that um, talking about it right before the episode and getting into it would be fine. If that's your choice, let me know and I'll try to get as much history as I can. But I think this is a movie that um, watching in the middle of the week and then sitting and sitting on it for a few days and thinking about that and like going back and looking at some of those scenes and imagery um you're gonna enjoy because it's a beautiful movie and it's weird and it's trippy and it's it, it's whether it has a lot to say or not it certainly is entertaining in its scope and scale of how like weird it is okay yeah i'm uh how about I'm this up to the task i'm up to the task this time have you ever seen a trailer for it I'm gonna be honest with you. I know I have not, so I'm gonna mute this, and then I'm going to watch whatever trailer that YouTube has cooked up. Well, I'm gonna see if I can find a good trailer with you. So we'll just search Apocalypse Now trailer. Now I'm then... watching one right now. The one that oh, YouTube wow. has. Oh, right away. Okay. Or is this just the opening four minutes of the movie? Don't no, never mind. It's a trailer. Wow, four minute long trailer. Welcome to 1979. That's what it's saying. Okay, that's not Tim Roth. It kind of certain shots make it look like Tim Roth. No, this is 1979. Oh, that's right. Harrison Ford was in this. He's I forgot he was he was uh, friends with Coppola. Oh, that's Martin Sheen. Why isn't my YouTube working? Man, this sucks. That's not. That's not Jimmy Fallon. <clears throat> Jimmy Fallon. Well, that they were going to remake it. God, no. God, no. Please don't. <laughs> the world does not need this right now. Oh, okay, so I found the one. You're watching 358. What number are you at right now? Um, I'm at 1.30. That's my timestamp. I was trying to get where you are. I'm just going to keep going. 
Yeah, jump stop. Are you? Uh, yeah. So, are you listening to it, or are you just looking? Oh uh, no, it's just on mute. Okay. Um. Yeah. I did all this. Okay. Well, this looks like Rambo. If Rambo actually owned his premise, instead of just being some dumb, goofy action movie. He's drinking coffee and flying a plane and through a help through a, through a war zone. Okay. Yes. Yes, he is. Sorry, but you ball. Love the smell of eight ball in the morning. I think you got money for now. For it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I remember not. I remember towards the point. At this point in the movie, I was like, is the USO show what the Redux heck? or is it not? Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Um, why would you make a four-hour trailer for this movie? I mean, a four-minute four trailer. Uh, a four-hour trailer. A four-hour trailer. Oh, God. So beautiful, though. Yeah, it dude. Looks pretty good. Dude, this movie's amazing. It's one I think it's one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Personally. It just gets trippier and trippier and trippier. Weirder. It's Dennis, like Hopper. Boys. Dennis Hopper shows up and he's just crazy his balls. His people hung up, his like heads on sticks, Brando's Brando. Yeah. This movie just gets crazy. Yeah, thank you, Nami. You're just the grocery boy sent by cricks to pick up a package. Crazy. Francis Ford, Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall, Martin Sheen, Apocalypse Now. Yep. Well, we're doing it. That's yes, it, we folks. Are. We're doing it. We're doing it, guys. We're not skipping. We're not skipping this time. You wonder we're not why we skipping just, this time. Quiet. I gotta wonder grow up here and do this. You wonder why we were quiet and watching that trailer? It's because we skipped it last time, but we're not doing it this time. We're watching it. It is one of the most influential films of all time and is now required viewing for me, so... Yep. Yeah. I I think uh, I think you're I think you're ready, Chris. I think after watching the Mad Max movies and seeing this like world like get worse and worse and worse, it's time to um, see something like that, but in artsy form and and like and you love military stuff. Yeah, it's like watching a redemption story, and then now you're seeing a slow descent into madness. That's great. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what I needed. Perfectly <laughs> balanced, as all things should be. As Thanos once said, that's not an overused meme. Um, He's a hey, he had a point, he just executed it poorly. Yeah, so there you go, everybody. Goodbye, Mad Max. Thank you, George Miller. Hello, Francis Ford Coppola. All right, that's it, everyone. So, see, talk to you guys next time for Apocalypse Now. Say goodbye, Alex. What a day! What a lovely day. There was an alternative cut, so I'm just going to end it there. <laughs> no, no, no. Blood and Chrome. They Hashtag released. Black and Chrome. That, that was a released version. So I guess hashtag you do you. Watch whatever you want. Watch whatever version you want. <laughs>
They're both hashtag, great. Hashtag release the, the actual night shot scenes cut. There you go. Shoot it at night, George Miller. I don't care how many cups of coffee you need. Just do it. I don't care if you're afraid of the dark. You do it. You're not afraid of the dark, are you? <laughs>